Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, that's uh, how, how it always starts. Then later there's uh, running and um, uh, podcasting. That is the worst Jeff Goldblum impression I have ever heard. What did I just say to you? You said it was going to be bad, and I was like, oh, it, it'll be okay. <laughs> I didn't just say it was going to be bad. I said it's my Waterloo. It's your Waterloo. I, I always feel and like- you are Napoleon, let me tell yeah. you, my friend. I feel like I'm someone who should be able to do a Goldblum impression. It feels like it should be in my repertoire, and I've never been able to get there. Hi, everybody. My name is Griffin Newman. Hi, I'm David Sims. This is a podcast called Blank Check with... Griffin and David. We are hashtag the two friends. Very true. Named as such because we are two friends and we host this podcast together. It's complicated. It's both of those things at the same time. That's what you got to track. You got to track that we are two friends with each other. Yeah. And then also we host this podcast. It's a podcast about directors, careers, yeah, contest. We like looking at filmmakers who had a massive success early on, yeah, and then got a series of blank checks to make their own crazy passion projects. Sometimes those checks clear, yeah. sometimes they bounce, baby. Boink. That was a bouncing check. We do mini series. Yes, going through a filmography, one film per episode, and today we are starting off our biggest mini series to date, in every sense. In yeah, scale. Yeah, success. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if you do cumulative gross, I think so. It's also our first time we have focused in on a part of a career. It's just too big a career to do it all. Will we do the the other part? Probably someday. Maybe. Maybe. Might go back. This is a, a mini series about Steven Spielberg, the most successful filmmaker of all time. Yep. That's not hyperbolic, right? No, that's by acclamation. Yes. Uh, by by pretty much every metric, the most successful filmmaker of all time. Um, but we're not doing the whole career because starting with Sugarland Express or even Duel, right? If you count Duel, that's always the big argument. You count Duel, right? Uh, it's it's what is it? I mean, it's like a lot of movies. His third it's like movie, fifty movies. It's not that. His movies. third movie, regard, depending on whether or not you count Duel, is Jaws. Becomes the highest grossing film of all time. It's humongous. It was nominated for Best Picture. He famously does not get a Best Director nomination. Mm. And there's this amazing video of him in his apartment watching the nominations, ready to be. Have we said his name? Steven Spielberg. I said that. Okay. The most successful director. Br- briefly, of all time. briefly afraid that we were. Yeah. No, no, no. You no, know, yeah, yeah. I was laying at the track. You were going to talk about the Jaws video, yeah. You know that video, right? I've, I've heard of it. He's sitting on the couch and he's with his friends and he's like, I'm about to get nominated for Best Director. And he sits there and they're calling out the nominees and he does not get it. And uh, Federico Fellini. Gets like a surprise best director nomination. Was that the one that knocked him out? Yeah. Fellini for like Satyricon I think or it was something for weird Satyricon. like that. Yeah. I think it was the Satyricon. This is a year. great start. Right? Um, but no, I'm but, the, look it up but I'm, I'm charting a real specific thing, which is there's that video where he's sitting there in shock because he was so ready to get a best director nomination. And he spends like the next 20 years really chasing an Oscar. There's other stuff in between, but he really wants an Oscar, right? And he's pegged as this blockbuster filmmaker. He's a popcorn guy. A lot of people blamed him for making American cinema more childish, more base, right? Sure. Which you could say... You you can lay a lot of things at this man's feet. Right. You know, 
I, that's a larger debate to be had. Maybe not at the top of a new miniseries. Sure, but he wants that Oscar gold. And he comes close with E.T., gets the nominations for Close Encounters, gets nominations for Raiders, Color Purple, famously was the most nominations to receive zero oh, wins. I see. Right, you're setting up the Oscar narrative. Yes. Of course, you're right. Right? I was doing something. And then finally. Nodding vigorously. Finally. He's going to make Last Temptation of Christ. Martin Scorsese is going to make Schindler's List. They do a Yankee swap. Yeah. And Stevie, he finally hits it. Uh, yeah, 1993, he makes Schindler's List. Best director, best picture. He wins, right? He wins both of those Oscars. But earlier that year, he releases a little talkie <laughs> called Jurassic Park. A two-reeler. A two-reeler. <laughs> uh-huh. A mutual comedy. He does. And it's huge. Seismic. Big movie. And he made them both in one year. Right. 93. Crazy. He Arguably was like the best year a director's ever had. He was, you know, doing... Uh, Post-production on Jurassic Park while he was shooting Schindler's List. How, how, ah, what do he do? And two of the most seismic films in recent American history. And here's the thing. Most directors we've covered had one movie that was so big it gave him the blank check forever, right? Spielberg, in this run of time, has like five movies that would have solidified a person's career for the rest of time. Jaws alone would have done it. Close Encounters probably would have done it. Raiders certainly would have done it. E.T. certainly would have done it, you know? Same with Jurassic Park. But he's just like, got so many blank checks here, he's not even cashing. He's producing shit. The stuff he's producing is blowing up. Roger Rabbit, Back to the Future, Goonies, Gremlins. Guy's got a golden touch, right? And then he finally gets that Oscar gold in the same year that he, like, once again... Was Jurassic Park when it came out the number one movie of all time? I think it was, and I think it was dethroning E.T. Yes. I think he was Cameroning himself. He was replacing his own movie. Because Jaws was number one at its time. And Star Wars. Right. And then E.T., I'm pretty sure. I think three times in history he's had the number one movie in history. Yeah. Which is pretty nuts. Um, And what does he do? This amazing year, how has he followed up? Four years, nothing. Well, he's... he's, he's, Doesn't make a movie. Doesn't make a picture. Excuse me. He releases the video game, Steven Spielberg Director's Chair for PC and Mac. You're right. That's something. But the bigger thing he's doing is he's building his own studio. I just... I did like a puppet mask. Yeah. Sort of, yeah. Not even a shingle. Not even a bungalow on the lot. He gets together with a couple of friendly fellows. David Geffen. Yeah. Jeffrey Katzenberg. Sure. Two power players. A cast off from Disney and a music mogul. Right. But one guy's like the money guy, the business guy. The other guy's the animation family guy. And they come together and they go, we're going to start our own studio. Mm-hmm. A director has never had that much control over a studio. There was United Artists, but United that was like Artists. eight people together. Yeah, that's about the only one. That's sort of one. equal standing, you know? And also, no one's going out there making studios. Oh, no. that's, a, that's a lot of uh, shit you need. There's a reason people don't do it. Yeah. Um, but, he, but he does that, and you and I would both argue that is the biggest blank check that any filmmaker's ever had. An entire studio. That's our argument. Yes. That's our, our premise. Is the DreamWorks yes. SKG the yeah. studio he created that now is no longer technically a movie studio and more of like a sort of now it's like a, a little production company yeah. within but, other studios yeah but but for a good run it was a real movie studio that made many movies a year yeah uh, and Steven Spielberg was the guy who you know he he put he put his like his career down as collateral basically yeah because uh, DreamWorks was gonna have 
all the Spielberg movies. And that alone was enough to get investors All the Spielberg movies, except for the one we're discussing today. Right. So we're fudging it a little bit. Because the last movie we're going to cover is technically sort of post-DreamWorks. It is. Uh, it's, it's not a... It's not a uh, proper DreamWorks film, and, and this is Universal technically the right, technically pre DreamWorks, uh, but we're including this and what will be the last film in our mini series, just because they kind of bookended nicely. Uh, yeah, no, totally. I right. mean, look, we're doing Spielberg post Oscar. That is technically That's the biggest thing. Uh, what we're doing. That's so, the biggest thing. Yes, but, there are things that yeah he didn't totally make with DreamWorks, maybe whatever. But pretty much, matter. by and large, these are all DreamWorks pictures. Yeah. And and the big thing is post Oscar. And I don't want to hear anything about it. Yeah, don't fucking give us any guff about it. I don't want to hear guff. No, I love music. Okay, I like to put on some tunes and dance a little jig. But if you give me chin music, I'm gonna tell you to mute that shit. This is great. I love it. This is great. This is a bold new direction. Also, hi guys. Oh, hi. How's it going? I mean, I guess we did split the week before, but uh, yeah. You know, it's been a while since we've been in the rhythm. Yeah, sure. It's been a while between minis. Been a while. It's been a while. Um, but, but I think a big, uh, drive in this narrative we're going to try to construct with this miniseries mm-hmm. is also that he's won the Oscar. What does he have to prove anymore? Right. And he was someone who really wanted that Oscar. That was really driving him. And he's already made three humongous number one movies in oh, history. He's, in he addition to so many other, other. the Lost Ark. He made, And yeah, producing so many the cartoon there. shows and fucking everything. That's like, at this point, we're just seeing Steven Spielberg unleashed. He's following his flights of fancy. Mm-hmm. His whims of what he feels like doing in the moment, mm-hmm. right? And I think it falls into two categories. Steven Spielberg changing our perception of what a Steven Spielberg movie is. Sure. And I think that's when the films work. When he does something that isn't categorically a Spielberg film as we knew it up until that time. Fair. The other half of the films, I think, are Spielberg trying to be Steven Spielberg, such as The Lost World Jurassic Park. So, I guess. I guess that's one... Explanation for this, it's it's shit pile. you know those like shitty like Beatles cover bands where they're like the Fab Four, yeah, and it's like a bunch of guys in their fifties, yeah. It's like a Paul McCartney joined one of those. I well, the, all right, yeah. The, my metaphor might be like you know how you can see the Beach Boys now, but it's like just one yes. Beach Boy, yeah, and then other guys who are just sort of filling in the gaps. We yeah. have very similar metaphors, yeah, yeah. But, but I was just building on yours. Yours was good. Well. Uh, <laughs> what are we gonna do? Uh, we're friends. Uh, you know, uh, we share this equally. Two, two. Uh, two friends. Uh, but uh, this is uh, the first film we're going to discuss uh, today on this on this episode is the Lost World Jurassic Park, and and the name of this miniseries What's is the name of the miniseries, Griffin. Um, it, it came to us very easily. Came to David Sims very easily. Pod me if you cast. Ah, oh. doesn't that just make you want to take a long drag on oh, a cigarette? It's a nice little jaunt. <laughs> Miniseries. Yeah, it's a an adaptation of the the title. Catch me if you can. Yeah, all no our one's picking up on all that our miniseries one. are adaptations of other films. <laughs> so, the Lost good. World Jurassic. Good Park. setup. Great. So this Here is we are. his first film back after four years that have mostly been spent releasing one CD ROM game. Yeah, and spending time with his family. Yeah, apparently, you know, I think he wanted he to a take a break. Yeah. yeah, and he's got like twenty eight kids. He's got <laughs> okay. a lot of kids. He has six children. That's a good amount. No, it's a decent amount. But That's he, a good amount. He kids. had married Kate Capshaw in 1991. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think you know it was after the whirlwind of making Schindler's List and Jurassic Park. It was time for him to spend some time with her. Yeah, I don't know, and the kids. Yeah, and he kids. Uh, he comes back, yeah, trying to replicate 1993. 97, he was clearly like, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to pull another 93. Remember when I did Schindler's List? Yeah, well, that's the thing. And Jurassic Park, he's like, I'm going to do right. Amistad. 
and the Lost World Jurassic Right, Park. I'll give you your blockbuster and your serious Oscar movie. I can do it again. Yeah. You can't stop me. It'll make DreamWorks happen. Right. That was the thing, because Lost World was at Universal because they had done the original. Mm-hmm. And Amistad was like one of the first one of the big earliest DreamWorks, DreamWorks movies. movies. We should The first DreamWorks movie is The Peacemaker. Is the Peacemaker. And then Mouse Hunt. Mm-hmm. And this, I think, were all the, in the first year. I think the three ninety-seven DreamWorks movies were that. Probably, I, I can yeah. look it up. Um, Not this, uh, Amistad, rather. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say, yeah, yeah. Those are the first three. Yeah, DreamWorks. It's uh, Amistad's actually second. Mouse Hunt came out December nineteenth, as we've discussed previously on our Titanic episode. I love to go hunting, baby. Uh, yeah. So uh, that's that's the story. Mm-hmm. And now, the Lost World Jurassic Park. Something has survived. Something has survived. Uh, it's uh, me, Jeff uh, Goldblum, uh, surviving to act in uh, this um, a sequel to the the original. Ben, what do you make of this? Not ben? good. <laughs> Can you do a Goldblum, producer Ben, aka the Benducer, aka producer Ben, aka the Peeper, aka the Poet Laureate, Haas, Mister Positive, Mister Positive, Birthday Benny, Tiebreaker, Fuckmaster, Dirt Bike Benny, Wet Hot Benny. Soaking Wet Benny, our finest film critic. See you on the streets, uh, greet you with a hello fennel. <laughs> certain titles? Yeah. Graduated? Yeah. No, I think Ben was going to say something. Uh, yeah. He's graduated to certain titles over the course <laughs> of different miniseries. Such as producer Ben Kenobi, Kylo Ben, Ben Night Shyamalan, Ben Say... Uh, say Benny uh, Say Benny Thing. And? T-Ben Ben Obtanium? What was the other still one? Fucking what was the other on one this? we were thinking of? Here's what's so annoying to our listeners. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. been like um, fucking six weeks and we still haven't settled. But the problem is we recorded the last episode like two days ago. I still like Ailey Benz. <laughs> I like Ailey Benz too. Well, Ailey Benz, whatever. There we go. It's, it's one of those. Benz. Yeah. Okay. We'll we'll see. You know, these things change. Can you do it? Uh, organic. Can you do a Jeff Goldblum? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, just yeah, well, uh, yeah. I think that can't be done. How about that? How do we feel? I, I mean, I, I feel like I, I'm throwing He's stones in a glass house. Do. He's very hard to do. He's hard to do. Can you do a gold? No, no way. I wouldn't David, try. do a bloom. You got to do a bloom. We are all blooming. It's Bloom's Day over here. You got to throw a bloom on the table. Absolutely not. Do a little bloom. <laughs> no. <laughs> David, we've planted the seed. I'll, added the water. I'll think about it. I'm not going to do it right now. You've grown. Because I feel like some line will occur to me, right? Okay. One of the great lines in this movie, all okay. those, all the screenplay lines. You know what, Ben? That's fair. David's a late bloomer. <laughs> now I don't. We'll think let we him should... gold bloom when he has. To all right, because I want to say I don't think we should say bloom because we have discussed Orlando Bloom a tragic amount on this podcast. We have. <laughs> so I feel like that's crossing the wires. I don't think anyone has discussed both his career and his penis as much as we have. But some have discussed one or, sure, the, one other or the other extensively. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've talked about both a lot. There you go. One's better than the other. And I'll give you a hint. The better one's in Oregon. <laughs> the Lost World Jurassic Park. Oh, right. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to set it up. Okay, cool. You had Jurassic Park. Big hit. People liked it. Based on a book by Michael Crichton yeah. about dinosaurs that are brought back to life on a Costa Rican island what a by hook. a senile British man. And then the dinosaurs chase some, some scientists around. Michael Crichton, the king of bad theme parks. <laughs> So Spiely, old Steve, yeah. goes to Michael Crichton. He's like, Michael, Jurassic World did pretty well. Yeah. Do you want to write a sequel? Jurassic Park, please. Jurassic Park. Please. Not Jurassic World. Jesus. Please. We'll get to that too one. Too soon. Too soon. Always too soon. Always too soon. Uh, Jurassic and Park. And let's also say, I just want to quickly, 
Jurassic Park, hot property. When the book came out, it was such a good fucking they, concept. They optioned it, I think, before it even came out. Like, they knew it was going to be huge. There was a big bidding war. Each studio had their director they were pushing for it. Mm. So I think, like, Warner Brothers made a, pl- a pitch with Joe Dante. Sure. I think... It's a different movie. Yeah. Someone, I think, had maybe Zemeckis or something. It was, like, sure. four or five big genre right. directors each went in, and then the second Spielberg teamed up with yeah, Universal, he, the other directors tapped out. They were like, oh, yeah, fuck. If he it. wants to do it, he's going to do it. it. Yeah. He did it. Revolutionary. And it's a great movie, and we will talk about why the movie's great during this episode, I imagine, when we compare this movie to it. The opposite of what we do with our <laughs> Star Wars episodes. All we're going to do is compare this to the original Jurassic Park. You, and, uh, but anyway, just to... they go to my, Stevie goes to Mikey, and he says, Mikey, I loved Jurassic Park. Yeah. The movie, it made a couple bucks. Maybe write a sequel? And Mikey's like, I don't write sequels. I'm an artist. Yeah. And he's like, well, you should do it. And he was like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so he wrote a bad book. Yep. Called The Lost World. Yeah. Uh, where he brings back Ian Malcolm. I mean, not Ian Malcolm. Yeah, Ian no, Malcolm. No, Ian Malcolm, yeah. yeah. Uh, the character played by Jeff Goldblum in the movie, yeah. who dies in the first book in Jurassic Correct. Park. Off, off screen or whatever, but he does die. Right. But he brought him back because I think either he was like, I have to bring him back, or someone at Universal was like, Jeff's interested, so he needs to be alive. Well, I think he was also the character that popped in the original That's film. That's true. He and was the fan Crichton favorite. Crichton said that. Crichton said, like, uh, his importance is, is so crucial. Like, we need him commenting on what's happening. Like, we need this guy to be, like, the sort of, you know, askance, view askew kind sure. of guy. Yeah, to Kevin Smith it a bit. Yeah. I think I think Goldblum added a lot to the character that wasn't there on the page. I think he turned it into something that popped a lot more than the character in the book did, right? Although the character in the book was a good audience surrogate I'm commenter. Not, look, I'm not a huge fan of Michael Crichton's writing, although I think he's he's written a lot of cool, like he's had a lot of cool ideas. He's a good idea, man. He's just not the like most arresting writer to me. I think a sure. lot of his characters kind of sound samey. Workman-like, yeah. yeah. But like, no no doubt the idea of Ian Malcolm is really cool in, in Jurassic Park, in the book Jurassic Park. But this, the uh, the yes. idea of this person who's taking a zoomed out look at like what you people are doing, not from some ethical perspective of right. like, oh, the poor dinosaurs. But more from like humanity is just taking one step too far up Jacob's ladder here. Yeah. Like we were, we're not in control anymore. But then the added element to that was, you know, I, I uh, Goldblum always says in interviews when he signed on to the movie, they had conceived him as more of a straightforward scientist. And Goldblum said, "I want to break the mold of how scientists are always shown in these sure, movies where they're right. nerds." Can I be, be the rock star scientist? Can right, I be exactly. the one who's cool and cocky? Right. And it's a great idea. It's a great combo. It's a really good cocktail. He, and we should say he's just phenomenal in Jurassic Park. And we he should say the choice he made to take a couple buttons down, A+. Plus. A+, plus is chess looks great. And then since then... But, but I would say that's also... The button scene, that's... Originally in the script, much like in the book, his character was going to die. And he was doing... Right, he was right. so clearly killing it on set that they were like, we got to rewrite this. So he comes back from the attack and he's not too damaged, you know? Yes. In between Jurassic yeah. Park and The Lost World, he'd made another two-reeler. Independence Day, uh, Called baby. Independence Day. Huge. That had done quite well for itself. At Jeff, the Fox office. Jeff Goldblum, a weird, eccentric He's a, character actor, right. has now starred- a huge movie star. Two of the biggest films. He's in two yeah. of the ten biggest movies of all time at that moment. And I'm not saying like Jeff Goldblum isn't now a movie star, but Jeff Goldblum is not- like, I mean, well, Independence Day resurgence, but, yeah. you know. This yeah. was a weird Not pocket sh- of time where he became a very unconventional leading man. Exactly. You could put him at the head of a movie, and that was a good, bankable decision. But here's the thing. In both of those movies, he is... I mean, this is, to be fair, this is the end of that pocket. Right, 100%. Yeah. 
In both of those movies, book. Independence Day and Jurassic Park, he is a lead. Yes. He is not the lead. As we will, I'm sure, maybe, it sounds like you agree with me perhaps on the mistake this movie's making, but uh, exactly. 100%. And he's, he's your off-ball guy. You know, you've got your main lead, your more type A guy, and you got Goldblum just a little to the side being like, oh, oh, oh you know, like that. And here's the thing that, that he's able to do really well if you put him just off to the side. Ooh. ooh. He's able to just bring whoop. the audience into higher concept stuff. Yes. Because he's saying the stuff that we'd be thinking, our most critical minds. While being like, hey, come on, you know. Yeah. And he's got this really offbeat delivery, so even when he's doing exposition, it never feels kind of clunky because his, he's got these weird jazzy rhythms and mm-hmm. all these little ticks. But and so it makes it feel kind of natural. He also plays scared and nervous very well. He's good for a disaster movie, yeah. you know. And uh, he's very human because he's right. so unusual. So, yeah, you know, Jurassic Park, you got Sam Neill and Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum. Ooh, oh, Independence Day, you got Will Smith and Bill Pullman and Jeff Goldblum. Oh, Ooh. there he is. Now, Independence Day, Will Smith is also kind of off to the side, I guess. Yeah. But he's he's cracking jokes, too. But in a big you know, kind of blockbuster, especially something that's like destruction-based or sort of fear-based or whatever, yeah. you know, where there's a threat. Yeah. If you're the lead, you know, you're sort of the matinee idol in the movie, you know, uh, male or female, I think this carries through the other four actors you just mentioned, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of your performance is going to be slowly standing up and looking at something dramatically. Especially if you're in a Spielberg movie. Right? Yep. And then Independence Day cribs a lot of that, the Spielberg looks, right? Mm-hmm. So here's what this Goldblum's movie does. Goldblum's best over the shoulder going, uh, that's uh, not good. Mommy's very oh, angry. I got it. I got it. Okay. Uh, well, uh, uh, that's not good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, look, look, it's a, a dinosaur. <laughs> I think alien. Uh, I'm an actor named uh, Jeff uh, uh, Goldblum. I'm, they call me Goldie. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'm cutting it off. Uh, so all that here's what this movie is does. Goldblum. Here's what this movie does. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. Number one. Yeah. You look at it on paper. Julianne Moore, number two, and Vince Vaughn, number three. Right off of Swingers? Okay. Who we got in the supporting cast on this, David? Oh, my God. This, I mean. Pete Postlethwaite? And we're going to see this in Saving Private Ryan and in Amistad and, like, so many. It's just, like, the, like, 18th lead is a someone you know Peter very well. Stomare? Right off of Peter Fargo? Stormare, I mean, these people right are coming off, of off of big hits. Pete Postlethwaite off of, like, the usual in the name of the father. In the name of the father. Yeah. Uh, Arliss Howard, I I don't know what he's coming off of. Richard do, Schiff, Richard Schiff, yeah, kind of pre-fame, yeah. but you know, uh, who else is in this? A, a young Camilla Bell, oh, one minute for one scene, a young yeah. Camilla Bell. I guess that's it. I guess yeah. that's the main cast. Yeah, you have a little cameos by the kids from Jurassic Park, Ariana sure. Richards and uh, Joe Jeff Mizzello. Mizzello. Yeah, um, got a little uh, scene at Attenborough. Yeah, you got a scene of Attenborough. Oh, and of course. Vanessa Lee Chester. Of course. As uh, she had been in Harriet the Spy and A Little Princess, right? She's in A Little Princess. Yes. As a child, she was one of my favorite child actors. When you're a kid, you like seeing kids on screen who, like, feel like they, you you know, you can relate to and stuff. Especially in the 90s, I feel like they were more aware about that. They were like, kids like to see your Mara Wilsons or whoever. Yes. You know, yeah. And Vanessa Lee Chester was, was maybe my favorite. I was really, I mean, I loved Harriet the Spy. And I rewatched that movie recently when I couldn't sleep. That film is still uh, very well directed. Vanessa Lee Chester rules in it. She's mm-hmm. really fucking good in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I remember being really excited that she was like, oh, she's in fucking Jurassic Park now. And her career kind of ends right after this. Yeah, she's in She's All That, uh, but in a small role, I think. Yeah. And that's kind of, 
it. She's in TV shows after that. She's still she still makes TV shows. She still makes TV. She was in Scorpion just last year. So she's around. But you know, I think she suffered a little bit of the Jake Lloyd thing in this, where people really hated her character. Yeah, I mean, not maybe as extreme as Jake Lloyd because the, there's less of her in the movie. Well, and I also her think her character yes. in this role in this movie. I mean, well, the movie's a problem. The function of the character. The function is really of the annoying. character is stupid, and that should have been taken out at first pass. And I think part of the problem is, one, they were making this quickly. Yep. Two, they were making it based off a really terrible book that was also made quickly. Yeah. Three, David Kep wrote it, and he's a bad writer. <laughs> yeah. And four, uh, yeah, like, no one was going to edit them much anyway, because who cares? It's Jurassic Park 2. We're printing money. It doesn't matter. We are literally printing money. It doesn't fucking matter. It could just be call- It could just be the T-Rex just, like, howling for 90 minutes. Yeah. It'd probably do kill. fine. It'd kill. So I, my guess is this wasn't really, like, they didn't go through, because, like, a script pass, you're going to be like, we don't need the kid. The kid's really superfluous to this, right? Maybe and Spielberg really wanted They said the in earlier drafts, the two original kids were in the whole movie. Uh-huh. Right, right. right. But I like, think in the book, the two original I think kids they are, are in I haven't, yeah. I haven't read it. In, and they wanted, I did read it. They like, wanted a new a kid. Years ago. I was just going to say quickly before, I'm sure we'll get back to her again later. The thing I think Vanessa Lee Chester had going for her, where she didn't spiral out as much as Jake Lloyd, is her performance isn't bad in this. People just hate the fact that her character's in it. Jake Lloyd had a double whammy where it's like this character sucks and the kid playing it sucks, you know? Right. But Vanessa Lee Chester, I think, was just left with a little stink on her because it was such a high profile. Like, that's what the fair. fuck are these scenes? I don't even want her to be here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a weird phenomenon where uh, original book adapted into a movie, mm-hmm. movie takes liberties, kind of pluses the material, makes it into something different, and then they go back to the original novelist and go, can you make a sequel? And now the novelist is kind of making a sequel to, to the movie. Right. And they're writing a book knowing that it's just so that someone can adapt the screenplay. But the other thing is the novelist has also decided to sort of pay homage to Arthur Conan Doyle's 1912 or whatever book, right. The Lost World. Which was also adapted into a movie. Which is about like an island of dinosaurs. Right, where they just roam free. And so you're like, okay. And then Steven Spielberg reads this book and he's like, Cool, but like, also, can we have a T Rex in San Diego? He just has some disjointed, like, larger. Because I've kind of always concepts. wanted to make like a Godzilla movie, right? So that'll be fun, right? And they're yeah. like, oh, okay, so let's kind of tack that on at the end there. And so then you get this mess. This, this, it's just, it's a shit sandwich. All right, before it, we get to the movie, or no, do you want to say something? Um, I just want to say it, uh, another example. Of this is is Thomas Harris with Hannibal. Which everyone wanted to make a Sansa the Lamb Very sequel. Good, he good finally example. wrote the book, and the book was like all these weird. Well, the book people were like, "Oh no, yeah. no, we can't film this," and they fucking filmed it. I mean, and they they took out some of the worst shit. Yeah, but uh, they took out the uh, anal stimulation of a corpse to make sperm. But uh, you know, it's mostly there. And people forget this. She doesn't eat the brain, though. She doesn't eat the brain in the book. She eats the his okay. brain. Yeah, uh, with the spoon. People forget this, but in the uh, in the book. There had always been a question of, like, would Anthony Hopkins want to play Lecter again? Because he had sort of been, like, cagey about it. Yeah, and the book asked that question. In the book, <laughs> no, seriously, in the book, they set up that Hannibal Lecter had a lot of plastic surgery done so that they could have a different actor play the role if necessary. Oh, yeah, that's right. Right, right, right. Which is, like, the weirdest example of the but novelist of a book ex- writing around an actor who might not way, do the movie that's based off the book he hasn't written yet. Another movie that uh, Julianne Moore is in, by the way. I know. Another crappy sequel that He's Julianne Moore is in. He's got bad luck with this, yeah. Uh, well, they should have had Clary Starling get uh, plastic surgery. Yeah. She's the one who actually gets replaced. Yeah. Anyway, um, do you think this is... Here's my question. Yeah. Before we begin talking about the story of this great film. The, the Lost, Lost World. Do you Jurassic think this is the Park. worst Jurassic Park film of the four? No, I don't. Which do you think is the worst? 
Jurassic World. I agree. Do you think this is the second worst? Like, do you like Jurassic Park 3 better than this? I certainly do. I think it's a much better film. I think I do. I think Jurassic Park 3 benefits from, it doesn't have the Spielberg touch, right? No, no. Which I think this is a, a an immaculately constructed series of terrible ideas, this movie. I watched the actual is too strong, but there are certainly some very good bits. I think this movie is very well crafted, and even just in the bad moments. No, it's not. No, it's not well crafted. No, it is not. That is crazy on a cinematic language level. No, I disagree with you, but we'll get to that. Okay, I just think it's a horrible screenplay full of bad ideas that are totally disjointed. Mm -hmm. I think it's dramatically inert. It is. I think it's a classic example of and then rather than therefore or but. There's that rule of storytelling, right, in screenwriting, where it's like. If the series of scenes connecting them is just, and then this happens, and then this happens, yes. it's not a propulsive story. It should be because the last thing happened, therefore this next thing happens, or but it's this happened. It's also the longest Jurassic Park movie. Really? Mm-hmm. 129 minutes. Not even that long. Not even that long, although yeah. it feels long. It but feels uh, really This one feels long. really long. Jurassic World is 124, Jurassic Park is two hours even, and Jurassic Park 3, in my opinion, one of the reasons it's so good, is 93 minutes long. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing it I like. It is a I mean, taut, fun action movie with a few characters who run into some dinosaurs. Jurassic Park like, 3. Boom, boom, boom. I think the benefit is it feels like- Stakes are low. It, yes, and it feels like a later Universal, like, Frankenstein movie. Right. Where they're like, we're not making these prestige I, anymore. This is like a burner. And I think that's what Spielberg thought he could do with this. It's yes. like, what if I just make, like, a Godzilla, like a fun monster sequel? Right. But he can't. He, he can't, can't make a stripped-down movie. Well, it's also Spielberg. Right? Spielberg? He, no. No. And certainly Spielberg, not in the last, not, not in this era that we're going to cover. Agreed. And Spielberg, I think, always fails when he tries to direct with one arm behind his back. When he's like, uh-huh. I just want to do this. Sure, sure. Rather sure, than sure. fighting at the top of his weight. Like at the yeah, top of his and, intelligence, and yeah, and maybe he wasn't like going through the story over and over again, and being like, "Well, we need more of an arc, and we like need more of something for more of this movie to be like about." Right. You know? Anyway, but so. I think anytime someone says something like, "I'm just trying to make a monster movie," mm-hmm. it's like that doesn't mean the story shouldn't work. Yeah, but totally. they start to make those excuses. Yeah, well, we talked about this before. Like yeah. George Lucas talks about this, you know, defense, and Shyamalan has this certainly. A lot. It's and Shyamalan just a B movie. It's a B movie, right? No, like, but um, but the other thing is, and I think this is inherent. Jurassic Park three works because I I think it's actually the best hook for a Jurassic Park sequel of the three. It's a good setup, right? The setup is fine. Yeah, if I. I don't know. It's a little half baked, but it's fine. Well, but this is what I was gonna say. It's a good setup, but I think it has been proven to us time and time again that Jurassic Park is a one movie concept. It is. I don't think there is a great Jurassic Park sequel that could possibly be made. Probably not. Without completely diverting from the source material and going in a crazy alternate direction. There was what that about rumor. Jurassic Underground. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Then. And it's about dinosaurs that live in the earth. There was that, like, John Sayles script for Jurassic sure. Park 4 that was always sort of legendary where they said, like, we can't crack Jurassic Park 4, so write whatever the fuck you want. Right. And he wrote a movie where a scientist made, like, half Velociraptor, half human commando agents with guns strapped to their arms who, like, went in and were, like, a black ops team. And it's like, whether or not you think that idea is good, I think that's the only way you could make a good Jurassic Park sequel is just to be like, fuck it, we're blowing the whole thing up. Yeah, I would be interested in a Jurassic Park sequel set like 100 years in the future where this sure. technology has somehow like overrun in some way. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. 
Here's all right, Jurassic what about Park's this? about discovery. The first movie is about yeah, discovery. It's about learning the rules of the world and then subverting them. And once we already know, once we've already seen things go bad, that tension is gone. Yeah, we can never have a Jurassic Park movie that ever that's true sells the idyllic part of it before the terror. Right. Yeah. So we'll and we'll talk about. But so yeah. Right. So Lost World, I guess yeah, it's a movie about nothing in particular. But I guess it's about like. Something has survived. What if we had to go back there and clean up our mess? I guess. But it's like, what if, like, we can't decide what the reason to go back there is, like, so we're going to have, like, three different factions that are back right. there for different reasons. For re- no, reasons, none of which make sense. No. Because, like, here's what should happen in Jurassic Park, The Lost World. Yeah. Richard Attenborough should say, have lunch with Jeff Goldblum and say, like, so, you know, there was this other island where we bred the dinosaurs, and, you know, then they, we would ship them over to the main island, and now they're just breeding on that island. And Jeff Goldblum would say, is there any way for them to get off the island? He'd say, no. And he'd be like, great. Let's never go there. Yeah. The end. Yeah. We won't go there. Yeah. Shall, shall we not go there? Yeah. Okay, good. And, and End he, of movie. Here's the thing. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and it still would have made the same amount of money. I mean, that's the irony. If yeah, that film had been released minutes. and it was five minutes long, it still would have made... Like what if it was 90 minutes domestic. long, but then it's just the rest of their lunch? <laughs> like, you know? And then he's like, so he's like. Catching up, yeah. Yeah, what's up? Like, Excuse me, sir, would you like a refill? Did you like the English patient? I yeah. thought it was okay. I, I don't know good. if it needed all those I would have voted for it, but um, it was good. Sir, yeah. I'm a waiter. I'm standing right here. <laughs> Treat me like a human, please. Would you like a refill? Sure. Thanks. Ben Hosley was good in Jurassic Park The so Lost World. Good. No one talks about that. He's um, probably the best performance. So uh, Jurassic Park 3. really real. He got but, mad. Oh, I, yeah, I was just going to say, even in you setting up how quickly the movie should resolve its own problem, yeah. saying there was another island where we bred the dinosaurs and then shipped them over is so sweaty. Yeah, Even the is. very setup <laughs> is. is sweaty of like... Why would you? The, the transporting it's, a dinosaur is going to be so fucking tough. Why they need Richard Attenborough because yes. he can just about sell it because you're like, hey, it's the guy he knows because he found a Jurassic Park. If anyone can tell me this, it's him. And notably, he dies in the first book. Yes, he and dies. Was not in the first book. Yeah. The character is a little more of a of an asshole. He's which, a little more of a Ford in Westworld, if you will. Yeah, or like a Doctor Moreau. Like he's yes. he's a little creepier. Yes. And when he dies, he's like. It's like he's going like, eh, it was the kid's fault. Like, we'll just do it again. Jurassic Park will be fine. And then the little compies eat yeah. him, and it's good. They made yeah. him more of a genial, grandfatherly yeah, figure. Spielberg loves Richard Attenborough, obviously. Yeah, wanting to give him this sort of, like, yeah, fatherly role. You know, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, and I think the the one kind of, like, funny idea in this movie is, is him being the most sued man in history. Sure, yeah. Which I like. But, I mean, and I think it also, it works in this movie that he's, like, Absolutely not. No Jurassic Park can ever exist. Yeah. I will not be the villain. I'm not going to tra- like because we wouldn't buy it. Like right. after seeing Jurassic Park, we're not going to buy that he's going to be like, no, 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 no. It can totally work. But like, hey, are you be? Yeah, yeah. Jurassic Park though. Uh, so the movie basically starts with yeah him. Well, no, okay. It starts with the compy attack scene on poor Camilla Bell. Which is a pretty good scene. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's in. I think they thought about putting that. That's the other problem with this movie. A lot of this stuff was th- stuff that they thought about having in the first movie and cut for time or whatever. And they were like, "Oh, but now we can do it." This movie feels a little like one of those Blake Edwards Pink Panther movies where they couldn't get Peter Sellers, so they were like, "Let's use outtakes from like." Other- yeah. There's a there's a Pink Panther movie after Peter Sellers died. That was all scenes that were cut wholesale from previous Pink Panther movies, and the like. The wraparound is someone going like, "We cannot find Clouseau." It's like because the actor died. He died of cancer. <laughs> That's a bummer. Yeah. 
But it, some of this movie feels like that, where it's like this just feels like deleted scenes from the first Jurassic Park with some wraparound yeah. footage Curse of Goldblum. Curse of the Pink Panther. Yeah. So I have this question for you guys. Yes. All right. Well, it's really it's let's say it's more of a thought. Okay. All right. So you're and going into it. You're, you're going you into it. You got the second Jurassic Park movie. Uh-huh. Right. So it's like you got dinosaurs again. What do you do? Yeah. You can't just go bigger. No. You go younger. Baby dinosaurs. This movie has a lot of young dinosaurs. It's got, it's also, got some baby dinosaurs. But also, you add more. Yeah. End quote, Ben Hosley on movies. <laughs> <laughs> Fine, film critic. Tantrum um, 2016. <laughs> so, Jurassic Park, The Lost World. Yeah. The Lost World, Jurassic Park, something has survived. Uh, correct. Um, so, you've got a little compi attack in uh, some... Costa Rican vacation. Oh, no. Well-constructed Spielberg sequence. I mean, you just see, dude's a master of blocking and staging. Does she die? Do we know? She we don't see her die. Well, that's where you like, get a little Spielberg he has the boy erupt in a geyser of blood. But at this point, he's got a lot of kids. He's got some kids, and he said, like, I don't, I don't know like if I putting kids in danger Jaws, in like, the same you way. Know, if I right. Had kids. Yeah. right. Uh, so he, like, takes you right up to the, the line. He tows you right there, and then it's like. According to Wikipedia, she survives. But they file a lawsuit against Correct. Hammond. Yeah. Hammond summons Ian Malcolm. Oh, I I, I have been uh, summoned. Ex- oh, 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 oh. No, Ben, oh, no, no, I, no. Shut yeah, up. Something ha- has, I, uh, well, one could say survived. I mean, you're getting the diction right. Just not the voice. I don't know how to do the vo- I mean, look, dude, you want to step up to the plate. David. You can silence us all. I'm a David. critic, baby. Critics. Criticized they only until do. you get on Mad TV, and then then we'll see the tables turn. Uh huh. Uh, so he brings Ian Malcolm, yeah, and says, "So there was this other island, Isla Sorna, and yeah. do you know what that means, by the way? No, sweaty premise, sarcasm island. Oh fuck that! <laughs> Seriously, are you fucking kidding That's me? That's what it means. Oh fuck this movie. That's fucking Crichton's fault. I don't know why he called it that. Yeah, Jesus Christ! And people rake Cameron over the coals for unobtainium. <laughs> Oh, God. We should be protesting. <laughs> Sarcasm Island. Fuck that. Are you kidding me? Because Isla Oh, uh, that sounds like a really cool island. Yeah, if that was the actual, <laughs> if we actually saw Sarcasm Island. Great island. Did you get what he's doing? Yeah. <laughs> Isla Nublar, which is where the original movie and Jurassic World is set. Yeah. That means Island of Cloud. Okay. Sure. Isla Sorna, Sarcasm Island. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, so- he says, there's this other island, we bred the dinosaurs there, and now it's, like, overrun with dinosaurs. But he's excited. He's like, it's great. They just have established their yeah, own and ecosystem. Like, and life has, as you put it, found a way. Yeah, they're just surviving. And we're all like, oh, God, like, yeah. are they just going to do, like, all the fucking catchphrases from the first movie? Yeah. Um, it almost feels like a video game storyline, doesn't it? Yes. Right. Where you're like... Yeah, I know there's some reason I have to fight dinosaurs, so can you just like get this over with quickly? Yeah. And so his idea is, why don't you, a chaos mathematician. Yes. <laughs> not a paleontologist, not a biologist, no. a chaos mathematician. Yeah. Is Go that a to- thing, David? I, sure, yeah, he's like a professor of math. He's not, however, uh, you know, someone who documents wild animals. Right. But he's like, why don't you go to this island and like, document it so that we can rally public support for no one to go there as if there's like people clamoring like let's go to like after the horrible deaths at that island let's go to another one a bigger one what's also like okay if your goal is make sure people don't go there maybe just 
tell as few people as possible that it exists. Yeah. Because right now they don't yeah. know about it. But you see, okay, so that might be a cool sequel, right? Sure. Okay, so here's the sequel. Forget all the characters from the original movie, right? Done. All of them are gone. They're Forgotten not them. in this yeah. one. Cool. And it's instead about these people who have like been like conspiracy theorizing and found out about this original disaster on uh, Isla Nublar. Yeah. And so they try to fucking get there because it's like those weirdos who like go to Chernobyl, you know, and they get in trouble, right? Yeah. Like that might be a cool movie. Much better idea. I mean, I guess that's sort of what Jurassic Park 3 is about. Jurassic Park 3 is the kid accidentally. His plane crashes. But then right. isn't it sort of revealed that like they maybe were up to up to no good? Yeah, which I don't like. Yeah, you almost wish it was just like an accident. The better premise, which is a good Jurassic Park sequel idea, even if the movie isn't great, it's like a good hook is kid accidentally crashes there. The parents find Alan Grant and they go, we know you survived this island. We have to get our son back and you take us there. Yeah. Then it turns out they're in it for the money or some fucking yeah, bullshit. Mm -hmm. It's better if it's just the emotional survival story. Agree. Or Amelia Earhart is revealed to still be alive and she's trapped on the dinosaur island. I mean, that's good. Yeah, that's, that's good great. writing. But and is she played by Amy Adams or yeah. Hillary Duff? Amy I mean, was, Hillary Swank. Amy Adams was so <laughs> good Duff. in Night at the Museum, yeah, Battle for the Smithsonian. Okay, so that might be a cool idea. And then maybe you can have Ian Malcolm show up halfway through the movie yeah. because he knows this is happening or something. I don't know. Hey, you know what's a good sequel idea contained within this movie that I think could be its own movie if that was the main thrust of it? Sure. Poachers find out that there's an island of dinosaurs. It's another, they just want to go there. Another good variation on the same idea. The problem with that, of course, is how do you sympathize with a poacher? Well, that's the question. Right. So, but if you put all your energy onto the poachers, you could find a fucking way. So anyway, Ian they didn't Malcolm, even explore. They could have done a whole courtroom movie just about him getting sued. Yeah. That would have been interesting. <laughs> ben, I'm going to kill you. He's our finest film critic. David. He is our finest film critic. David, he's our finest film critic. Watch right. your mouth. So Ian Malcolm is like, uh, so yeah, Richard Attenborough's like, yeah, you should go. Ian yeah. Malcolm's like, no. Why would I do that? He's like, that? look, I got a good team. I got a photographer. I got a great team. Great team set up. You know Richard Schiff? <laughs> you you met this guy? He can carry a gun. A beardless <laughs> Richard Schiff. Richard Schiff. You know how Richard Schiff is always kind of schlubby? Yeah. Schlubbier. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we yeah. schlubbed him up. Yeah. You know how it always looked like he kind of had a chin? He doesn't. And now you'll get to see it clearly. Richard Schiff might as well just like wear like a red shirt that's like written with like it has like dead like you know I, walking corpse on it. This guy is going to die. Then Vince Vaughn, Chicago's greatest photographer. I've hired Richard Schiff who can drive a jeep. Sure. Vince Vaughn who can operate one of those digital cameras. Yeah. And your girlfriend. Who apparently you never talk to. Not your ex-girlfriend. Your, your current girlfriend, girlfriend. Who's already been on an island for three days. She went to the place that you every night presumably wake up screaming in bed. And she goes, what's wrong? And you go, oh, I can't stop thinking about Jurassic Park. And I she, saw a dinosaur. Yeah. And it tried to eat me. Yeah. That's what's wrong. I would be dead if I wasn't doing so well in the dailies that the studio was watching. Now, I kind of like the idea yeah. that... He seems to have rebounded from being jilted by Laura Dern, who he was hitting on in Jurassic Park, but they never but, get anywhere. But but famously, Dern and Goldblum hook up after the movie. No, good for them. Yeah, hell no. But uh, he's that's he, some gangly. He's sex rebounded right onto a similarly sort of like, uh, you know, pale thirty-year-oldish, yeah. more age-appropriate paleontologist. This time. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, like he he just found like an I mean, how many fucking paleontologists are there out there for I mean, Jeff look, Goldblum to try and date? Work and play are one of the same for Ian Malcolm. That's what we're seeing, right? So she plays Sarah Harding. A great character. 
And uh, yes, yeah, she's uh, nine years younger than Jeff Goldblum, Julianne Moore. So yeah, you know, whatever. But wasn't Laura Dern like 22 in the first Jurassic Park? No, that can't be true. She's so no, young. What are you talking about? Because she'd been in Blue Velvet. That's like fucking 10 years earlier. Blue Velvet was 89? No, I think it's 86. It wasn't 10. She was born in 67, so do the math, because I can't be bothered. She's uh, like 27, 28. Oh, okay. <laughs> 20 comedy points. Yeah, that's okay. She was born in 67, and uh, Jeffy Goldblum was born in 1952. So he's, yeah, he's 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 narrowed the gap. A little it's, bit. You know, whatever. Look, yeah. he's a Playboy Chaos mathematician. But it's like... Uh, <laughs> You know, Jurassic Park at its time was kind of a big deal because it was like a massive blockbuster that didn't really have quote unquote movie stars. And I think that is a trick Spielberg loves to pull. Yes. And he also loves to fill out these kinds of movies. He Mm -hmm. did it with Jurassic Park. He does it with Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. With guys who almost look like they're like could be the real guys rather than you have to just stretch and be like, yeah, no, I totally buy that, you know. But it's this uh, idea Garrett like Headland is right. a fucking archaeologist or well, whatever. Well, that's his idea is like if the premise is so good, right? Yeah. If the script works and it's a great hooky premise, hooky, then just cast the best actors. You don't need movie stars who can bring you there. You don't need personas to kind of overwhelm the movie. Mm. Get the people who play the parts. Right. Goldblum was the biggest star of the three. Yeah. Right. But wasn't working on films at this scale. Laura Dern, Oscar nominated, but very much right. like a drama well, actress and. And then Sam Neill was yeah he was like a uh, he was in the piano that year right and and this he tries to do a similar thing because like Julianne Moore was kind of like art house darling yeah she'd been in like shortcuts right. and Boogie Nights she just Boogie Nights was, was going to get the Oscar nomination this year for that Boogie was her Nights. first Oscar yeah, nomination yeah so she hadn't been in uh, Vanya on Forty Second Street she wasn't doing big big movies not at all and Vince Vaughn he was like that Spielberg seeing swingers probably seeing dailies of swingers and being like. This guy is obviously going to be a big deal, so and let's this starts, get him on board. This starts, you know, five years of everyone misunderstanding how Vince Vaughn is a movie yeah, star. Yeah, up, up till old school, right? Yeah. Like, I feel like, yeah, that period where it's like, Vince Vaughn, he, he should be like a creep. Right. Good. Mm, people want to see him be a creep. Or he's like Gary Cooper, you know? They, like what's they, he Gary Cooper in? I think they're trying to do a little bit of traditional- Oh, in this one he yes. is a little bit, but then he makes like- Psycho. Psycho the Cell- Clay Domestic pigeons. disturbance yeah. and clay pigeons. Yeah. And uh and then in two thousand three he makes old school. I mean that and came out, he... everyone was like, Why is Vince Vaughn in a comedy? That's yeah. weird. Yeah. And then like now when Vince Vaughn does drama, they're like, Why is Vince Vaughn in a drama? Ooh, curveball. But there was He's like... pretty good in Hacksaw Ridge this year. I've heard. Yeah. There was a, a a path of like five years where he was really, really on it, and then he kind of very quickly became Adam Sandler and got really lazy and made films just with his friends that sucked. Yeah, well, he became just one of those people where it's like Let's not even write dialogue for him. He'll just do his thing where he like stammers, you know, all like a crazy stream of consciousness, and it'll be funny. It got worse, I think, with him than a lot of other people, and faster. Yeah, it wore out really quickly. But he had a big string of hits until he they did. just suddenly stopped, and then no one wanted to deal with that anymore. Yeah, I mean, I was talking about. Uh, I wrote this article for the Atlantic a few weeks ago about how comedy like doesn't sell as well anymore, or at least yeah. comedy stars don't. And like Couples Retreat, yeah, is one of the last comedies that is not like a cartoon or yeah. like based on it. Like we're just like made a hundred million dollars, close to a hundred million, and it was just like it's kind of a no premise movie. Yeah, and it was just sold on Vince Vaughn, but like Four Christmases did really well. 
what was the other one that he sort of just like somehow just fucking like threw to a hundred? Well, the breakup did really well, which I like. Breakup for Christmases, right? Yeah, I don't know. There's a, there's a couple more. You know, yeah. you know what's actually really good though? What? Vince Vaughn's Wild West comedy tour. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. <laughs> that was his concert movie about a bunch of stand-ups doing t- slinging jokes in the Wild West. It's so bad. So comedians, there are modern day cowboys. So, but in this, he's skinny and I yep. guess kind of handsome. Yeah. And the idea of him is that he's posing as a documentarian on yeah. this very small crew yeah. that has arrived on this island with no protection. Sure. The stupidest idea in he's the world. He's a photojournalist. And instead, no, he's like an ecological <sighs> terrorist. <sighs> Oh, snap. Yeah, great. And he, like, wormed his way into this thing. He feels really muzzled in this movie. Yeah, I think they all kind of do. Goldblum does. Yeah. You know, Moore is a total nothing in the role, like, total nothing. It's weird how little. For such a charming actress, but. It's maybe her least compelling performance. You, you Honestly, why would you remember that she's in this movie? Because even something like Evolution, where her character's really underwritten. Yeah, Evolution is trying too hard by having her like fall over all the time. Which was yeah. it's like literally a parody of what everyone says happens to female characters in movies like that where it's like, well, they have no character. So she was like, "Can I just fall a lot so I have something to play?" Yeah. But you at least remember that she's in this. I every time I start watching this film, I go, "Oh, right, Julianne Moore, one of our finest actresses." Julianne is the, the Moore. second lead in this film. But you know, on on at the beginning of her, but she'd been in Safe yeah. Hadn't she? Yeah, she was certainly like a very respected actress. Oh, no, unquestionably. Yeah. But so, in terms of like big studio fare, she was in The Fugitive as the wife. Yeah, no, no, she no she's was... not the wife. Celia Ward's the wife. Oh, right, She's yes, like a yes. doctor. It's a small role. And uh, Hand the Rock's The Cradle. Is she's in that? Yeah. She was like in some of these movies, but, you know, hadn't been in a big blockbuster like this. And all of her success was in small character drama, which she was killing it in that game. Okay, so just to get back to the plot of the movie. Yeah. The exciting plot. So they're there, and they're documenting, and maybe Vince Vaughn wants to do some ecological terrorism. But no, they don't. Williams, to his credit, does not use his theme until the credits. Yeah, he has his like other theme. Yeah, which is like dun dun dun. <laughs> it's so memorable. It's like this. <laughs> so who else is on the island? Well, you got Arliss Howard. Yeah, who is playing Richard Attenborough's grandson? Maybe. Yeah. Who's the guy who's like taking over the He's company? He's his grandson. He seems too old to I be his agree. grandson. I agree. That's Richard a- Attenborough like 150. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's not the hair pattern of a grandson. <laughs> so Arliss Howard, who's an American actor, but is playing like the most stuck-up Brit, which is a weird choice. I don't know why. I mean, he's in tons of stuff. He's in like Full Metal Jacket. What yeah. else is he in? Uh, he's a good actor. He's in Natural Born Killers, yeah. right? And I love him in uh, Rubicon, my favorite TV oh, okay. show that got canceled for after sure. one season. But um, he's terrible in this. Yeah, he's really bad in this. Uh, the film needs a good villain. Yeah, because it's lacking any kind of other thing to really focus your attention on. He's really bad. Yeah. Uh, I think he's trying to do like a mustache twirling villain, I guess. But it feels like he's very miscast. It feels like that's not what he's good at. And even to saddle him with the British accent feels like if you want to be mm. British, hire a British actor. Why you don't know? you hire a British actor? Yeah. So he's like the new CEO of InGen, the like cloning company. And right. he's decided, here's what we'll do. Jurassic Park? Eh, too much. How about Jurassic Stadium? <laughs> and we just have a dinosaur. Yeah, it's like SeaWorld. And it just like wanders like, around right. and people pay to like look at it. I said, Fuck that. And like, and he's like, and you know what, Richard Attenborough, my dad, my grandpa, he built a stadium in San Diego that nobody talks about. 
You know how hard it is to build a stadium? This movie's so dumb. I can't believe. I just watched it, but having to verbalize it. <laughs> so he's brought a whole bunch of guys. Yeah. Most of whom are like poachers, or at least there's like a good number of them who are Roland like- Roland Tempo. And there's Roland Tempo, who's played played by Pete Postlethwaite. Probably best performance in the movie. 100%. The only dialed in performance in this movie. Yeah. He is- Fabulous he gets in this it. film. And he's killing so it. So good. And also one of the greatest faces in the history of movies. We've rarely had a better face on the big screen. It's a great face, and he's hairless in yeah, this film. Which now, is now, an incredible Pete Postlethwaite is a bald actor. Yeah. And, I mean, I think of him as bald. I'm sure this movie's where he has hair, but he's usually bald. He sometimes got but a little... A little. Does he even have eyebrows? No, it's like <laughs> he's wearing a hat and sunglasses for most of the movie, so you can barely see his eyebrows. And it's just, other than that, it's like completely hairless. Yeah. Like squeaky clean, Mr. Clean. He's incredible. Yeah. Uh, ben loves him. And so, Ben, Ben, you want to talk? Well, I, I, you know, I don't like to be referred to as a bald man, okay? Would I'm never hair do. challenge. <laughs> All right? And yes, I love the shit out of this motherfucker's performance. Yeah. Uh, do you guys want to play that clip? Yeah, Ben, play the clip. Oh, man. All right. Ben's been aching to play this clip. Peter. If you want me to run your little camping trip, there are two conditions. Firstly, I'm in charge, and when I'm not around, Dieter is. All you need to do is sign the checks, tell us we're doing a good job, and open your case of scotch when we have a good day. Second condition, my fee. You can keep it. All I want in exchange for my services is the right to hunt one of the Tyrannosaurs. A male, a buck only. How and why are my business? Now, if you don't like either of those two conditions, you're on your own. So go ahead. Set up base camp right here, or in a swamp, or in the middle of a wreck's nest, for all I care. But I've been on too many safaris with rich dentists to listen to any more suicidal ideas. Okay. Okay. Pete Postlethwaite as Roland Tembo. Yeah. He wants to shoot a T-Rex. There. That's, that's I'm done. the whole character. Yeah. That's Steven great. Spielberg said. He's got some other guys with him who want to help him do that. Dieter Stark. Peter Stark played, played by, by Peter, Peter Stormare. Um, Spielberg said after, uh, or I guess during the making of this film, Pete Postlethwaite was one of, if not the best actors he'd ever worked with. Oh, really? Well, he also works with him in Amistad. Yeah. The same year. And uh, I wonder, did they move? Did they ever work together again? Maybe not. I don't think it's so. It's too bad. They should have. But um, but Spielberg was like apparently very blown away by his technique. And I've read a lot of like interviews. He died, unfortunately, a couple years ago. Did. Very sadly, he died in 2011 at oh, the age of 64. Young. Yeah. Um, I think was Inception his last movie. Uh, Inception was not. The Town is his last. Oh movie. right. Oh, and also he's in Killing Bono, but that's not a real movie. Yeah. Uh, he but he's very good in the Town. Yes, uh, he looks pretty gaunt in it. And he does. Inception, he plays a dying man. And he does. Uh, and he's incredible. I saw him in London on the the London stage. You saw him tread the boards. Uh, in a one-man show, oh, which boy. is whew, you're talk, so lucky called Scaramouche Jones. That oh was God, of really, really good. And that well, I remember that was a that was a you know you're seeing a guy who knew knew what he was fucking doing. That's I I mean so Spielberg had said as much, and then I've read a couple times like when AV Club will do those random roles features, and people will talk about movies where they worked with Pete Postlethwaite. Yeah, they always threw him as an example of a guy who so thoroughly understood the camera and the actor's relationship to the camera, because people would say, I'd be doing a scene with him, and I'd feel like he was way too big. Right, and I'd go, right. what's he doing? And I'd look at it on screen, and it would be perfectly measured. And mm-hmm. sometimes the opposite. I'd go, he's not doing anything. And he'd right. look at it. He sometimes just, somehow he was just, always he totally could, like, dialed in. He could, like, see into in. the future. Dialed in is the word. He's yeah. dialed into the movie he's around. Yeah. 
a performance of his that I loved as a child. Mm. He's the guy who gives James the bag of magic worms and James and the giant peach. That's right. He's, he's the magic man. And very he narrates theatrical, the film, and he narrates yes. it as well, and he's like incredible in it. Yeah, because when we were kids, he was one of those guys that you would recognize. He's in that. He's in Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. He's, he was like in a lot. He's in Dragonheart, which yes. I saw in theaters, my friend. And you you can't forget his face, especially if you're a exactly. kid. He's, he's a kind, very unusual He's a little guy. scary looking, but then there's a weird warmth to him. So he'd mm-hmm. kind of be like, it was like, he was like a human Grimm's fairy tale, you know? Yeah, definitely. Where you'd That's... be a little lord and a little frightened. And you know, after the 90s, I feel like he gets wasted because I'm looking so at his credits and yeah, he's not in enough good stuff. No. And it, he is good in Inception in the Town right at the very end there. So yeah. it does feel like, oh, yeah, all right, okay. But when he came back in those two movies, I was like, oh, we haven't seen Pete Possible in too long. Petey and then something. he's dead. Yeah. Very sad. Anyway, he's I always great. wanted him to do like a Liam Neeson like action movie comeback, and the tagline could be, the Possible Thwait is over. <laughs> That's great. A hundred comedy points. Thank you. <laughs> so I wanted to say something about him, though. Sure. If this movie has any arc at all, yeah. it's his. Yes, 100%. Because like he comes there thinking like I'm the world's I'm a world renowned hunter and I want to get the greatest beast that ever lived, right? The T Rex. Right. And by the end he like understands the majesty of the T Rex and wants no part of it. Uh that's why I think probably I feel like that's the best approach this movie has to a Jurassic Park sequel yeah. is to make it from the perspective of the poachers and perhaps in order to humanize him from earlier on so that the audience is on side you have, you know, yeah. what feels wasted in this movie, the uh, Julianne Moore girlfriend character, the mm-hmm. Vanessa Lee Chester daughter character. You have someone to humanize him there and be like, I don't think you should be doing this. Right. And okay. then he comes around. I'm now going to tell you in 20 seconds the rest of the plot of this movie. Okay. Can and then I, we can talk about it. Can I try to literally time you on this? Sure. Because I, I think you could get it in under 20. Probably. Okay. Because like, like, I believe we, in we've you. Just giving you the setup. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. And go. The poachers and the guys, the guy, the co- poachers catch a bunch of dinosaurs. The guys release the dinosaurs, and then so they're all together now. The dinosaurs kill most of them. They have to leave. The T Rex smashes through San Diego, and then they send it home. Right, fourteen. I seconds. mean, like, what is there to say? Nothing. Like, I'm not really skimping on the details. No. There. And and Ben, when you said it feels like a video game, I think that's very on point because it feels like there are some cutscenes in this movie. And then a lot of the sequences don't even feel like set pieces. No. They feel like levels. They really do. <laughs> they really do totally. feel it's like levels. It's just like, what shall we do next? So Now we're changing scenery a little bit, and now there's a new objective. Yeah. But, but it's never like a thrilling objective. It's just like, I guess we got to get this and done then, now. And then there are, like, there's some death scenes yeah. that are executed fine. Yeah. But, okay, so it's like, all right, so here's something. Steven yeah. Spielberg made Jurassic Park. Correct. A very good film that conveys... The sense of wonder People one might feel. Liked it and 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 felt the the beauty and the terror of dinosaurs. <laughs> right. That was the magic trick of that movie. The first half of the movie, they go, God, dinosaurs are beautiful and majestic. How wonderful it'd be to roam this park. And then right. the second half, the terror kicks in. Sure, sure. And you no, get your full we've gone too meal. far. We are, you know, we we're not gods. And right. we, you know. In this movie, they arrive and some stegosauruses walk by and they're like, There they are, the dinosaurs. No wonder. This movie normalizes the dinosaurs way too much. In, and, and way too quickly. Yeah. Because, okay, so we, we skip this. We usually do this. Uh, I saw this movie in theaters opening weekend. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, so had you, there's no way you saw the original in, it in theaters, did you? I had not seen it, period, at the time I went uh, to see it. Sure, right, because you're pretty young. You're probably eight. I was eight. Yeah. And I was scared very easily. Yeah, how did you see this one? Well, my friends love Jurassic Park. Of course, of course, of course. Like, even when we were five, I remember, Me like, too, a lot of them no. going to see Jurassic Park, yeah. four or five, you know? Um, and certainly in the years after that on VHS, those four years in between. Well, also, Jurassic Park is 
ridiculously rated PG. I know, which is insane. And it came with like a special extra warning that was like, it's a PG, but it's pretty intense. Like, I remember the poster said, like, yeah, watch out for younger kids seeing this. Why'd you rate it PG? Because, like, Spielberg. Well, it's especially crazy because Spielberg's the reason that PG-13 was created. Like, he was notoriously the guy who kept on towing that line, and after Temple of Doom and Gremlins, they were like, okay, fuck this. Yeah. There needs to be another rating. Right, right, right. right. Like, that was because of Spielberg and that yet, they were like... even though that movie has, like, severed limbs and stuff, yeah. it's a PG... Anyway... Doesn't matter. It's got kids in Sprite. So you lit. saw it in theaters. I saw it in theaters. I was very easily scared. I remember just the innate premise of Jurassic Park, knowing that it was going to start out good and then get bad, really scared me. Right? right. Right. And I didn't like tense scenes. Any okay. sort of tense, like creeping around so kind you of. Really, thing. just like like animated films. Yeah, pretty yeah, much. Right, right. I, I'm Muppet movies. Sure. Uh, and uh, when I, it was like a bunch of the boys in my grade were going to go see this. Right. And the dad was like, "Hey, we're all going to go see Lost World. Do you want to see it?" My parents were like. We'll allow you. you. And I was like, I'm going to fucking do it. I remember sitting there like white knuckling. Like I was about to get on a theme park ride. You know, like I was like, I don't know if this is a good idea. I was like when I was a little kid. Yeah. And I remember watching this and there were certainly certain scenes where I felt attention just because I hadn't seen movies like this before. Mm -hmm. But like looking back on it very quickly, I was sort of like deflated. Yeah, well, because it's not a scary movie at all. No. It doesn't build tension well. I'd say the camper sequence is the that's one. That's the only one. And everyone that... talks about that as the one good Swiss watch Spielberg sequence. Yes, but that's it. But but I had this weird, I was like watching, re-watching this and thinking back on it because I saw it when it came out, opening weekend, and I thought it was great. But I also hadn't seen movies like this before. So I was just so like, oh my God, it's like an adult blockbuster. Right. You know? Yeah. And there was like a similar thing in this like one year span where like I saw this, hadn't seen the original Jurassic Park, thought it ruled. Mm-hmm. I saw Roland Emmerich's Godzilla, hadn't seen Independence Day yet. 97 or 98, 98. 98. Yeah, yeah. Hadn't seen Independence Day yet mm-hmm. and was like, this rules. So, so, so you're seeing- Saw the, Batman the and Robin, versions. hadn't seen the earlier Batman movies. Was <sighs> Not like, this even rules. forever? Wow. Yeah. So I was like, three things where it was like, I was getting the shittier version of the one that everyone liked. Mm-hmm. But because I was so unexposed to it, I was like, this is great. Mm-hmm. And I was like, eight or seven and like complaining to all the adults around me be like why don't people like Godzilla it's fucking awesome and they're like because we saw the one that yeah, was like this except ones. not dumb yeah um but I hadn't watched it until then I would defend Lost World when people ragged on it. I was like it's fun it's good uh I didn't see Jurassic Park until on VHS after that and then I like rewatched it with friends five years ago on VHS in a basement in Toronto not even in London Ontario and I was like, this sucks. It sucks. It sucks. It it's sucks. boring. It is boring. And then uh, watched it again, uh, you know, last night, and it's not good. Yeah, it's not particularly good. I had two and a half stars top, yeah. two, yeah. two. You know, like, it's okay. It has a couple set pieces. Uh, it's very forgettable. Yeah. So let's let's talk about some more things this movie get wrong, gets wrong in relation to Jurassic Park, okay? Okay. One, normalizes the dinosaurs way too quickly. Yep. Which removes all tension. Yep. Two, it The does- only one it doesn't is the T-Rex. Yes. It nails the entrance of the T-Rex fine. Right. Everything else, crappy. But, like when the raptors show up like way late, yeah. you're like, oh yeah, there they are, right, you know. Yeah, go but on. they know that the T-Rex matters and they build it up in the way they need to do with every other dinosaur. Like you think about how elegantly they introduce dinosaur by dinosaur the original Jurassic yes, Park. Yes, yes. You know? Yes. And the majesty yes. before the terror and all that, right? Two, I don't think this movie has a story. No, it has no story. It has a plot, doesn't have a story. And it, as, as I already discussed, doesn't really have much of an arc. Maybe no. a little bit to the Tembo character. It's it's the, not about anything. The T-Rexes, you know, Spielberg always said the T-Rex is the hero of Jurassic Park. Like, yeah. you know, he, he like saves the day at the end when he takes down the raptors. Which Colin Trevorrow took way too literally in making Jurassic World. Yeah. 
Um, in this one, I guess, yeah, the T-Rexes have a story again, but their story is just like these jerks steal the, the T-Rex's kid. Yeah. And the T-Rexes get him back, get her back, whatever, get the kid back. By the time they get to the San Francisco stuff, which- S- if, San Diego. San Diego, sorry. My apologies. You should be. Um, it just feels like, it's like he's given up on the movie he's been making for the last hour and a half and just wants to do this other thing instead. And you watch that section and it's like, you know what, if this is what you really wanted to do, Spielberg, maybe you should have gone, fuck this book, it's dumb. And just made a movie where somehow the dinosaurs make it to Maine. Yeah, but maybe he felt bad and was like, oh, he wrote the whole book. <laughs> oh, God, that's such a bummer. Yeah. All right. Uh, right. But that feels like the only section where he's like having fun. It does. That's true. It's he not does totally some great. things. No, we'll get to that. Because the movie right. hasn't really earned it. Yeah, but he at least, there's humor or yes. whatever. Self, it feels self-referential. It feels silly. And it does feel like the kind of movie he was excited to make, I guess, at one point. Like no. more of a... B movie. Yeah. 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 Um, but uh, uh and we're not talking about Jerry Seinfeld as an insect. Not yet. Not yet. That's our next Jerry Seinfeld does play an insect in this movie though. Yeah. Watch carefully. Yep. See if you can spot. That is a spoiler. Our next mini series is the films of Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> no, it is not. Um Um let's talk about the Goldblum problem. Yeah. Because it's such an obvious thing where it's like, of course, if you're in that room, you go, Yeah, let's make Jeff Goldblum the lead. Yeah. Jeff Goldblum's on the up and up. Everyone loved that character. Why not promote him? Everyone's going to want more of a good thing. No. There's a reason it's a side dish. And we already, we kind of already talked about this, but it's true. A lot of times fries are better than the burger, Mm -hmm. but you don't get fries as an entree for a reason. Fry sandwich. Not a meal. That's what you got handed with this one. You got handed a French fry sandwich. A French fry sandwich. You're like starch on starch. You're like, you eat it and you're like, I think I like it. Yeah. I don't know. It's certainly not bad, but I don't feel like I've had dinner. So... Also, it doesn't make any sense that Jeff Goldblum's character would go back to this island. He is, I mean, to use a D&D terminology, he is chaotic neutral. Correct. He's not the one who's like, you know, I really loved the idea of that island and those dinosaurs, and I really want to protect them. No. I go as far he, as to say he hated it. He arrived on the island before the dinosaurs started eating people. He was like, this is a bad idea. Don't do this. Yep. Very bad idea. Yep. Now, I think part of the thing was Samuel didn't want to make this movie. Okay. So Samuel's out. But was he ever in the book? Uh, I don't think so. So maybe, yeah, right. I don't know. I think it might have been column A and column B. So they squeeze Jeff Goldblum into this leading man role. Uh-huh. They Bad try idea. to ground him by giving him a black daughter, uh-huh. which, by the way, for 1997, huh. No, you're like, no, they don't, they don't uh, do any kind of ham-fisted explanation or anything like that. This is something that Fantastic Four, the fucking reboot, like tied itself in knots trying to explain how there could be a white and a black person related to each well, other. And they did two things. One, they spent a lot of real estate in the movie explaining it. Yeah. Two, the entire press tour, they went, we shouldn't have to talk about that. <sighs> Which is so contradictory. I have no idea if there was even a reaction in 1997 to this. There may not have been. I remember people I going, that doesn't really make sense. I don't remember really? people complaining about it, but I remember people being like, that's weird. There's w- literally I one joke. Great. They make the entire film. I love it too. It's maybe my favorite element. I'm of an the ally. Film. Yes, me too. Yeah. No, uh, I mean, whatever. I think. Yeah. I, I I like that the movie just spends no time trying to. There's it. the one joke they make where when they discover that she's stowed away in the camper and they're fighting and Richard Schiff turns to Vince Vaughn or Vince Vaughn turns to Richard Schiff and goes, "Do you see a family resemblance?" And Richard Schiff holds up a finger, going like, "Little bit." <laughs> and it's like, great, just get out of the way. Sure. Steven Spielberg, I know, also has an adopted black son, yes. who I think was. Uh, 
he's young, so I think he was probably so maybe this movie Spielberg was a couple years after that. Have, I think have that be a matter of fact thing, and I think that's great. I love it. Unfortunately, the character I sucks. Don't think we need a kid in this movie at all. I agree. So that's a problem, and I think the reason the kid exists is yeah, Spielberg's like, well, you know, the kid thing works. I'm a dad. Yeah, and like I sympathize with with parents. Yeah. And yeah, the kid thing worked in the last one. It doesn't work at all here. The minute she stows away, you're like, oh, fuck. that was a terrible idea. Not only that, the at minute she's in introduced, Park, you, you know get she's why they're away. there. Yes, 100. percent And yeah, and then she does nothing except for her gymnastics routine, which is like widely mocked because, you know, the Raptors are supposed to be really scary, and she right. takes them down by doing some cool like work on the uneven bars and kicks one of them. Yeah, I actually think the line, the Goldblum line, uh. Kicked you off the team is is funny. Yeah. I actually think he nails it and it's really good. Uh, but the scene obviously I agree. Uh, as worthless. a child, I love that scene. That was my favorite scene in the entire movie, of course. I like cheered when it fucking happened. Um, but but it is, I mean, you talk about him nailing that delivery, and it's like, well, that's the problem, is the movie doesn't let him do that very much because he's so often the center of the film and he's the guy reacting in the sort of matinee idol standing up straight, having the shocked face thing. Right. That he rarely gets There's to a lot comment of on the action right. because he's the one who is being propulsive. And it's like the same thing that happened with the fucking Pirates of the Caribbean sequels, where it's like everyone forgets that Johnny Depp's a supporting character yeah, in that you first can't, movie. Obviously, Johnny Depp has tons of screen time, but he can't be your focus. He's Han Solo. He needs to be the Han Solo, yeah, the guy who's messing things around. Right, and you can earn a little sort of emotional payoff with him when he acts, like he comes back and he blows up, you know, Darth Vader. He helps Luke out like no, that. Of works. course, I'm not saying he. Yeah, but right, we, but he's got to be he's got to be on the side of the main propulsive plot because if the funny guy, the guy who comments on the reality, who brings the audience in, mm-hmm. cannot be the center character because there's too much other work they have to do, which takes away from them being able to be funny. Unless innately baked into the idea of the film is the guy being an outsider who doesn't belong there, and this is not that movie because the whole point is he belongs there. He knows what he's doing. He's been there before. Mm. Let's talk about some of the set pieces. Cool. The trailer set piece is good. It rolls. Uh, I think it's good. Oh, another problem is uh, that they use way more CGI to make these dinosaurs happen. In Jurassic Park, it's a lot of puppets embellished with CGI, way less yeah. CGI. In this one, when it's full CGI dinos, which they do a lot of, it yeah. doesn't look good. He got too confident. He yeah, felt the tech like, wasn't there yet. Because at the time with the first Jurassic Park, they said, you can't do this, period. Right. And so he does, does it very well. And so, yeah, he thinks, like, why can't yeah. we? You want to guess the budget on this movie? What are you looking up? I don't want to tell you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the budget on this movie, I would guess, was $125 million. $73 million. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Spielberg doesn't fuck around. He doesn't fuck it's around. $10 million extra than Jurassic Park. That's that's pretty nuts. Yeah. Um, Because they said, on my Amazon X-Ray when I was watching the film, mm-hmm. they said that this film has 50% more dinosaur footage than the original. That's probably like, true. It has a lot of dino it. footage. Yeah. The first Jurassic Park has like 20 minutes of dinosaurs in total, I think. Less than. Sure. It's because got like 16 a, minutes or something. It doles Jurassic it out Park perfectly. So good. It's a good movie. The first Jurassic Park is great. Okay, but hot take. Good movie. <sighs> so the trailer scene's cool because that's when uh, the, the poachers have stolen a T-Rex baby. This is after the poachers stole like a bunch of dinos and they let all the dinos out to like disrupt them, which by the way, they never get in trouble for. Yeah. That was very uncool of them. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes. But the poachers stole a baby T-Rex in whose leg is broken. And instead of saying, you know what? 
uh, that's life, and there's nothing to do about it. Julianne Moore's like, no, no, here's what we do. Take it to our trailer, set its leg yeah. with a cast. So, you know. It's just dumb. It's like They're we, in the trailer. It's Here's the problem. You're watching the movie, and you're bummed out that they haven't so also seen Jurassic stupid. Park. Because it's like, we're so far ahead of them. We know where this is going. The sequence works because uh, it's Spielberg. He knows how to construct it. But yeah, like, of course, the fucking mama dinosaur wants its baby. Uh, yeah, so, and you have this rigmarole where, like, Goldblum's, like, trying to call them on their trailer phone and they're not picking up. Yeah. And you're oh, like... yeah, the cage and the tree. What the fuck? Yeah, that's stupid as well. So stupid. And, uh, and so, yeah, but the, the T-Rex attack is cool. Because I like the, I like the reveal of two T-Rexes. Uh-huh. Which I feel like the movie takes its time making clear to you. Sure. You're like, oh my God, this T-Rex is everywhere. And then you finally get that shot of them in both windows. And you're like, oh, yep. it's a couple. Okay. Uh, and go then, younger and you go with more. You know, all the <clears> stuff <throat> all the stuff with the trailer getting knocked off the cliff and Richard Schiff trying to like pull it back up and the various pieces of fun Spielberg has with that, great. Yeah, and there's like just- Like Julianne Moore on the window and, you know, like the way it falls around them and I don't know. These sequences are really poorly thought out, but Spielberg's always been really good at sort of an economy of uh, storytelling, right? Mm-hmm. He figures out how to convey as much as you can and as little as possible. He blocks really well. He constructs yeah. these shots where you get a lot of information in a quick dose by understanding where to place all the actors and how to time the action, all of that. And he also, and this is like the thing that I think people don't talk about enough, but I really think separates like good filmmakers from master filmmakers, mm-hmm. is master filmmakers really understand how important sound is. Yeah. You know? Because sound is kind of the forgotten element that people can really take for granted and just go like, well, just record it, you know? Mm-hmm. But like Spielberg, the fucking camper sequence. You're looking up some fucking merchandise. That's what you're doing. Go on, yes. I think I'm not going to do a merchandise spotlight in a fucking Lost World episode. Come on, baby, you crazy? Uh, the camper sequence, mm-hmm. the way Spielberg uses the cracking of the glass <sighs> is like, that's doing 90% of the heavy lifting for you. You know? Mm-hmm. That's, that's all you need, really. We agree. Um, and even it, it takes a long time for any music to kick in in that sequence. Mm-hmm. It's not until Julianne Moore lands on the glass and the thing's already teetering over the edge. First two or three minutes when the thing's getting knocked over, he's just playing with the sounds of the creaking, you know? He's, he's, he's a good director. Yeah. Even watching his bad movies. It's like y- you could learn a lot from his worst films. Um, yeah, uh, you're right. Yeah. This is one of his worst Films. I would agree. I'd say this it's in the a, bottom five. I was gonna say about to say bottom five. Probably yeah. a bottom five movie. Yeah, he's made some shit. Yeah, he's, I mean, when he makes, I don't know if it would make my bottom five, but maybe. There's there's one movie we're gonna cover in this series certainly that's probably my least favorite Spielberg movie. Um. Okay. Probably but, the Terminal. Who knows? <laughs> hey, now there's one thing that we've left out. Good, shoot. This is a really wet. Movie, yeah, a lot of rain. Now, now you know me, guys. I like a slick flick. Yeah, you like a slick flick. And I gotta tell you, I think this is probably one of the more moisture franchises, wouldn't you say? Yeah, Jurassic Park. I mean, famous for you think about in the first movie the use of rain, the cup of water. Like I, I sort of imagine Spielberg like on set, and they'd be like, "Steven, you want more water?" He's like, "Ship it in. I want more." More. All right. I I have to move us along because we're uh, I want to keep us tight. Oh, also they love mud in this movie too. Go. Yeah, yeah it's a muddy movie. So 
I don't know. Are there what other set? Is that's a good set piece? But what other set pieces are good? I guess Peter Stormare getting eaten by the compies is pretty good. Yeah, I remember at the time I found that very effective. I, I like the visual of him. I mean, for one, I just like the idea that he's this little bastard tormenting them, and they sure. team up and kill him. But I like the visual of him falling like behind the log, and the blood comes down the river. How many fucking toys are you going to look up on it's your one. goddamn I'm trying to get Kindle. a good image to convey it, but I think I got it. And it's a Kindle Fire. Show some respect. <laughs> boy, oh boy. They're a great company. What's well, another set piece in this movie? The, the raptor's hunting them. Yeah. Shrug. Then there, he leaves some, the There's a car chase, sh- chase shit. But even that, like, there's so much fucking shit in this movie. And I swear this isn't what I'm setting up with the merchandise spotlight. But there's shit even just, like, that vehicle they got where the chairs extend from the sides uh-huh. so they can get a better shot. That just feels like a fucking toy. It just feels like they were yeah. like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, totally. Like, Jurassic Park was one of the biggest merchandise movies of all time. And this out. is the like peak of that era of filmmaking. Like Batman and Robin is the toyetic was the, the term they used to use. The executives yeah. would sit there and go, "Can you make it more toyetic? Can you add more characters? Can you have a sequence where this happens?" You know, I mean, there was the famous story where uh, the, in Pocahontas, mm-hmm. the executives met with. The toy company executives met with the filmmakers. This better be quick. <laughs> it's quick. It's quick. And said, oh, you know what would be fun is if you had a toy, a, a scene where Miko, the raccoon, braids Pocahontas' hair. Yeah. And they throw it in there for no reason. It was because they had just developed the technology to, like. To, like, have hair braiding and yeah. an action figure Yeah, so or they made, like, a fucking Pocahontas doll. And it was so clear they had the prototype before they told them to write the scene where it's like, oh, you got a little Miko remote control and he braids the hair, fucking whatever. But this just feels like. Jurassic Park was already one of the biggest toy movies ever because kids love dinosaurs. And for the first time, there was a real proprietary dinosaur brand. Right. Like dinosaurs had no license, so anyone could make dinosaur toys. And they famously came up with this thing, the JP mark on the leg. Mm. This was a big deal. Do you remember this? No, because I don't care about this stuff. (laughs) Jurassic Park toys had this like brand on their leg that was a logo that was a J and a P connected. So that it would be like, if you show up to school and you got some fucking lame, That's non-licensed up box, dinosaur the toy, they knew you were a fucking loser. You had to have the JP on the leg. And they were huge. The toys, wildly successful. And then they sold some humans. In this movie, it felt like they were like, hey, Steve, could you put more vehicles in it? That's enough merchandise. Well, not yet, because here's my spotlight, baby. No, oh, okay. You want to do it now? That's fine. Yeah, sure. Uh, the only other thing I feel like we should talk about is the San Diego stuff. Yeah, we'll talk about yeah. it. Um... A thing I always liked as a kid was we just talked about how like t- toy companies would be like, hey, maybe put this in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. But sometimes there were toys where I would see the toys in the store before the movie and be like, that's going to be a cool scene, and it wouldn't be in there. And it was so clear the toy company was just like, this is what we wish happened in the movie. Mm-hmm. So they made like the main kind of the big, you know, gold watch item of the Lost World line was the bull T-Rex, right? One of the two T-Rexes in the film. And they did the massive scale, and it had the sounds, and it was big, and it was rubbery, and whatever. But it had this weird fucking feature, which was it came with a guy in a cage. Okay, so here's the scared dude, right? <laughs> he's, like, shivering. It's like a Don Knotts character, right? <laughs> yeah. And he's in this cage holding onto these two His handles. teeth are clenched. Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then this, like, closed over it, so he's in, like, a steel cage, almost like in Jaws, right, when uh, Dreyfus goes in the thing. And the premise was, the hook to the toy was that the T-Rex could swallow it Mm -hmm. and then poop it out. Mm -hmm. But the idea was, the narrative was that this guy wanted to explore the inside of a T-Rex. So they built this cage so that he could survive being eaten by a T-Rex. 
Cool. Which is such a weird fucking premise that they were like, you know what? We don't know what those guts look like. I would actually love to see that in a movie. That was the thing. It yeah. seemed like such a cool fucking scene. I was like, that's out there. And then it always felt like uh, when my friends would have that toy, it'd be more fun to play with that and pretend that that happened in the movie than anything mm-hmm. that actually happened in the goddamn movie. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for your merchandise spotlight. What that's do you my think pitch of the San Diego the stuff? Here's what they do in the San Diego stuff. They tranquilize the T-Rex and decide to bring it to San Diego for their stadium. Bad idea. Oh, the T-Rex escapes from the boat. What a surprise. We've all seen King Kong. It eats everyone on the boat and turns them into limbs yep. and guts. And now it's walking around stuff and you get a lot of Spielberg shots of kids Some. looking out their window. Some. Yeah. It's honestly not that much. No. It's like, what, what's, what There's is the this? one big one, the kid in the bedroom. Well, yeah, eat, that's yeah. the only one that really is. The, yeah. di- the dino eating. I'll give Spielberg this. The dinosaur eats the dog. He's got some guts. He still lets the dino gets the dino to eat the dog. Spielberg got some guts, and that dino has some guts in his tummy because he just ate a doggy. Sure. Now, guys, when you see a like a huge boat coming towards you, sure, you just hang out and watch. Always, yeah. You want to see how it ends, right? You want to see if the is the boat going to stop right. or is it going to crash into this dockamon? A hundred percent. I always do that. Always. Uh, every day. That's what I do every day. This isn't sarcasm, Island. No, no, please. This is sincerity. Peninsula. Uh, okay. I don't know what else to say about this movie. I mean, this is this was a big misstep for Spielberg, right? The T-Rex eats Harless Howard. And the T-Rex eats Harless Howard. Uh, and then he goes home. Yeah. And the, the conclusion of the movie is, the dinos are on the island. Right. So Happy it's like, ever what after. the fuck? The, nothing in this movie mattered, you know? No, like I said, they just shouldn't have gone there. Right. <laughs> like, all that's changed is a couple dinos and a couple people have the died. The idea is that it's now going to be like a nature preserve. And this is a mistake that he makes. Because in Jurassic Park, in that if they had never gone in the first place, in Jurassic Park, the movie is not equating dinosaurs to animals, nope. which is the thing that this movie and Jurassic World both do. Yeah, and like those are both movies about like zoos and the perils of zoos and like animal rights and things like that. And I don't think that's like the craziest metaphor to draw. I just no. don't think it works. And in uh, this, in Jurassic Park, no, it's about man's mistake. It's about like what Ian Malcolm's babbling about, all the chaos theory stuff, all of the sort of like you can't impose a simple structure on a complex system stuff. I love that stuff. What this is about is we should leave animals alone. It's the consequences of buying a zoo. <laughs> it is. Thank you, Ben. It I is. Um, if anything, I mean, I'm giving the too much the movie too much credit by saying this. Mm-hmm. If anything, the movie almost reads as an interesting criticism of itself. Of just like, we shouldn't have gone back. There's nothing to be gained from going back again. That That's about as good as you're going to get in terms of, like, yeah, interesting analysis. That's I the guess. most interesting read I think you could throw on the movie, and it still doesn't make the movie interesting to watch. It's like the movie's convincing you not to watch it while you're watching it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's massively successful. It had the biggest opening weekend of all time. It opens Memorial Day. It, like, blew the doors off of fucking everything. Well, do you... <laughs> Do you want to play the box office game or something? Is that what you're saying? Hell yeah, baby. Are you saying that you want to play the box office game or something? I want to play that box office game. The Memorial Day weekend, 1997? Opens May 23rd. It's a four-day Memorial Day weekend in 1997. It's the number one movie of that week. It makes 100 in the first 90 four days? $90 million dollars in the first four Humongous. Days, which I believe was the, uh, the highest opening weekend of the time. For a long time. Until Spider-Man in 2001. I believe two. Harry Potter beat it. Because Harry Potter got with so a striking distance. maybe, but yeah. The first Harry Potter in 2001 
got within striking distance of 100. It was like 95, 96. Spider-Man's the first one to get the first 100. And it breezed past. Spider-Man did 114. I'll never forget that weekend. And then Aquaman did 115 in the Entourage universe. As a box office kid, the Spider-Man hit 100. Me too. Because my dad and I would just go, do you think a movie's ever going to make 100 opening weekend? And it kept on, Lost World got close, you know, with four days. Harry Potter got close with three days, but I was like, I don't know. And then Spider-Man just fucking swung past it. We believed that a hero could save us. We weren't going to stand there and wait. Yep. Hold on to the okay, Chad. wings All right, of a so hero. number one, what's number two? Number two, okay. Number two is a, a classic example of counter-programming. Okay. It is a romantic comedy directed by Griffin Dunn. Oh, well, you gave it away. Addicted to Love. I've never heard of this movie. Matthew Broderick, Meg Ryan, Kelly Preston. You're saying the names, but it's all new to me. I like Griffin Dunn. I mean, I know I know his work. Because he's got your name. Yeah, yeah. We're, we, I, I know him a little bit, too. Oh, okay. Well, that's nice for you. Us Griffins have to stick together. It opened Do you realize a- two of the three Amazon pilots that got picked up in, a, in that season start, Griffin start involved. Griffs? Mm-hmm. Um, Us Griffs, we got to hang together. Addicted to Love opens to $11 million and makes 30-something overall. I don't know that the counter-programming really worked. What's that movie about? I think the premise of that movie is that they're two people who've just gotten dumped and are angry and decide to start dating to make their exes jealous, but then they actually fall in love. I think it's something like that. I mean, okay, that's... Meg Ryan's got an ex who I forget who it is, and then Matthew Broderick's ex is Kelly Preston, and they're, I think... Team up to Meg Ryan's I, yeah. ex is a Cheki Cairo. Cairo. Oh, of course. I'm so surprised the, uh, I forgot. The Turkish that. actor who's like the 14th lead in Goldeneye. Okay. Yeah, that's definitely counter programming. <laughs> so, number three was number one the week before. Okay. It drops only 30%. Oh, good home. It's uh, making 8 million uh, this week and its third weekend. So, it had been number one for two weeks. Wow. Uh, and it's made 46. It's going to make 63 total. So, it kind of kicked off the summer, but it wasn't a mega hit. was not a mega hit. Okay. Uh, it's a film that I really love. Hmm. From, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's more clues I could give you. Give me a genre. It's a science fiction film. That's the genre? Yeah. My mom does that. Have I ever told you that? Genre. She speaks in perfect English, and then she'll go, what a genre was the film? And I always tell her, shut the fuck up. Okay, it's a science fiction film. It made $60 million. You like it a lot. It was number one for two weeks, but still didn't do a massive amount of money. No. It's doing okay. Science fiction. It was Men the Black most- comes out later that uh, year. This will probably give it away to you, but it was the most expensive European film ever made. The Fifth Element? Yeah. Great movie. Love it. Yeah, I always think that movie did better than it did. It was like, it did, did okay. all right. It did okay. But I think like- it did really well overseas. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I love that movie. The next film is a comedy, uh, and it's a spoof. Oh, a spoof and a goof. It's a spoof. Is it a goof though? And uh, yeah, it's a bit of a goof, and it's 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 a huge hit based on budget. Uh, It was a fairly small budget film that Uh made uh, fifty plus million dollars at the box office, and was kind of a cult sensation, but was totally overshadowed by its sequel. Interesting. Its sequel really really popped. Yes, sir. Okay. And it's a spoof. It's like a straight-up spoof of a specific thing. It's a spoof of a specific kind of genre. It's yeah. not like a specific spoof. I'm, I'm actually embarrassed that I asked the follow-up because I know what it is. Right, right. It's Austin Powers International Man of Mystery. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Which I rewatched recently. Hey, guess what? That movie's really fucking good. Great movie. Really funny. I was so scared to rewatch it. Now, easily the funniest of the three. No question. Yeah. But I also, um, 
I, that was one of my absolute favorite movies growing up. That was like one of a, a couple of movies that I got really obsessed with, right? Uh-huh. And that was like my favorite franchise. I was more into that spoof franchise than most serious franchises, right? Because uh, Toy Story 2 hadn't come out yet. Like that was like a real thing to latch on to. Um, I was so worried that it was going to have like the the effect of I've had to hear so many no, people I know, fucking parody it and then parodying the parodying and then the uncle stuff. That movie's still a perfect fucking comedy. There you go. It's great. Joke for joke. Everything's funny in that movie. It's also really well designed. Okay, that's enough about Austin Powers. One of the spoofs that like Young Frankenstein style gets the look right. Yeah, no, you're right. Actually, that's a that's a good call, especially yeah. the first one. Which, yeah, no, I two agree. and three get a little overblown. Get, but exactly. The first one has the, the third, right aesthetic. First one's got the right aesthetic. The second and thirds are just trying yeah. to top themselves. Yeah, and whatever. Uh, great movie. Five out of five. Would watch again. Yeah, and also those are the movies where Mike Myers is only playing good, funny, well developed characters. Well, and that's the big thing is Austin stops being funny in two and three. Austin stops being funny in two and three. He's kind of funny in two. He's not funny in three. A little bit. He's all right in two. But like he figures it out at the end of one, which makes him, yeah, there's less yeah. tension in the character. I know, but there's only there's something almost funny about the, that fact in two that he's just sort of like really relaxed. I agree. <laughs> because he's obviously so bizarre. Well, it's funny because Mike Myers has like good timing and <laughs> yeah, shit. Yeah, But you watch the first movie and it's like, that character is Of course, unbelievable. Like, the joke is on Austin Bowers and not on whatever, Doctor. I mean, whatever. Right. Can I say something crazy? I'd give Mike Myers best actor that year. I'd have to think about it. Probably not. <laughs> I think I'd give it. Then. No, Guy Pierce is my winner that year. Right. That's the year that Nicholson wins for as good as it gets. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh so the fifth movie is a thriller. Uh-huh. Uh it's a good uh, thriller. Real thriller. Mm. Like an Ashley Judd. It stars a, a man who we've discussed right. on this podcast, uh, an actor. That no, could be oh, anyone, David. It's true. We've discussed this director on this podcast, although none, none of his films directly, but we've discussed, you know, some of his movies indirectly, and I think this was his, his I think this was his first movie. Interesting. Uh, you know. A noble start. I think it's an R-rated film. Uh, the film is, uh, you know, it's in its fourth week. It's made 38. It's going to make 50 mil. It, it, I, like, I don't know what the fuck I could tell you about Give this Give me the movie. lead actor. I'll give you the director, Jonathan Mostow. Oh, fuck. His first movie is... It's not his first movie. His first movie is Beverly Hills Body Snatchers. Jeez. So this is the one before U571? Yeah. God. This is his second film. I can't can't remember. It's Breakdown with Kurt Russell. Oh, jeez, yeah. Okay. And J.T. Walsh. And and Steven Seagal, famously, they sold as being like a co-lead, and then he dies. No, no, no. no, That's the other one. That's the other one. That's not this one. That's the plain one. Yeah, that's is that executive decision? Yes, or? I always get those two confused. Breakdown, sure. Okay. So, you know, Breakdown, it's it's a movie. It's a movie, it exists. It's out there. Yeah. Not the most exciting because like Jurassic Park just shat all over everybody. everybody and this is the summer where everyone knew Jurassic Park was coming. You had to clear them. Uh, it made $229 million total, 618 I was almost on the, on the dollar when I guessed earlier. I said something like 225 But yeah. it was, of course, not the biggest movie of 1997 because Titanic was the biggest Titanic movie. Titanic came out. And did even did Men in Black outgross this? Correct. 250? 250. Men in Black rules. Yeah. We talk about it all the time. Men in Black. He'd he'd be a good blank check. Barry Sonnenfeld? Yeah. Yeah, but you know what the problem is? You have to watch a lot of shitty movies? Yeah, you have to watch nine (laughs) lives. It ends on nine (laughs) lives. Did he make RV Runaway Vacation? Yes, he did. (laughs) Boy. Did he make Big Trouble as well? Big Trouble. God, a lot of stinkers. But, But listen to what you get to cover. Adam's Family. Love it. Adam's Family values. Even better. Men in Black. Oh. Uh, get Shorty. Right. Four movies that rule. Men in Black 2. Yeah. Wild Wild West. Yeah. Big Trouble. RV Runaway Vacation. Men in Black 3. Ugh. 
There's one other shitty one in there that I'm forgetting. Um, yeah, it's a bummer. Did he do Be Cool? No, he no. didn't do Be Cool. Who does uh, oh, F. Gary Gray? F. Gary Gray. That's an F. Gary Gray. Picture. Piece of shit. Yeah. Um, uh, Sonnenfeld, is- I mean, I'd love to talk about Men in Black someday, if only so we have an avenue to. We have never on this podcast pitched our Men in Black 2, which I don't know if our listeners know it's this. So we probably good. referenced it we offhand. Haven't. David and I fixed Men in Black 2 one day. We did. It was great. We were at a bar. Men in Black 2 was playing. We were bemoaning how bad it is. And then we sat down and went, Is there any way you could make a good sequel? And Jesus Christ, did we nail it. I brag about it all the time because they should give us a time machine, send us back to fucking take a pass at that Men in Black 2 script. We're never going to do this miniseries, though. For Love of Money, that's the other one. For Love or Money. Is the other Barry Sonnenfeld movie? Yeah. What movie is that? It's a movie with Michael J. Fox and uh, Gabrielle Anwar. Okay. Anyway, so uh, that's the box office game. It was a huge hit. Oh, some of the other movies, right. Uh, Father's Day. Oh, yeah. With uh, Crystal uh, and Crystal and Robin Williams. Billy uh, Williams. Ivan Wright movie. Robin Crystal. Uh, you've got Liar Liar. Oh. Which uh, was a favorite of mine as a young boy. Huge, uh, huge, massive hit. Jim Carrey getting back to broad comedies. Yeah, that is in Liar Liar is in its tenth week and it's it made one hundred and sixty four million dollars. I think it ended up at like one seventy. One eighty one. Jeez, Louise. Uh, Volcano, the Coastest Toast. Coastest Toast. I always have to say that tagline. Yeah. Uh, Night Falls on Manhattan. What the fuck is that? It's a Sidney Lumet, a bad Sidney Lumet movie with Andy Garcia and Richard Dreyfus. Yeah, but you know, Sidney Lumet falls in that category where you can learn a lot from a bad Sidney Lumet movie. Anaconda's in there. Oh. Which is sort of like, that's like the final lapping of the, the Jurassic Park ripple, sort yes. of washing up on the beach. Creature features. Yeah, it's, like, it's an Anaconda movie. That movie yeah. is obviously out of its goddamn mind. You've seen that movie. Yeah, right? that was gourd. Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. Okay. I love. Yeah. Well, that was The Lost World Jurassic Park. Um, and uh, next week we'll be covering Amistad, which is the first official DreamWorks movie, and Spielberg's... Uh, attempt to complete the second half of his miracle year, both halves of which uh, failed. But this is certainly a case for me of Spielberg... I would say the other one works better, but they certainly both failed. Yeah. Uh, this is certainly a case of Spielberg uh, feeling like, I can do this. I'm Steven Spielberg. I already made Jurassic Park. I can do this. I'll do the thing I did last time. He's kind of acknowledged that the movie doesn't work, right? In, yes. Like, re- more recently. Like, he knows. Steven Spielberg is an interesting figure because he's very uh, self-aware. Yeah, he'll usually, you know, give him a little he's time. He's pretty clear-eyed about yeah. his career. He also, like, he says he thinks Hook sucks. And now there's this stupid wave of people who, like, act like the Hook isn't a fucking disaster. Mm-hmm. You know these young youngins? These people who are our age? Oh, yeah, who like Hook, Hook is, is good. good. Look, this Steven Spielberg is... himself is like, you're wrong. I'm glad you like it, but it's not a good movie. No, it's not. It's, a it's bad. It's my biggest mistake. It's a fucking. I mean, the reason people like Hook is like because they saw it when they were five. Well, that's the main reason. I mean, but also, you know, it's got all these sets and like you want it to be good. Like Dustin Hoffman's doing something. He definitely is. You know, so like there's things to like in it, but uh, yeah, yeah God. But you know what the like, weird have thing? Have you ever sat down and watched it? Yeah, oh, it's a nightmare. I had never seen the thing in its entirety until about a year oh, ago. Oh, I saw it in theaters. Yeah, I didn't. I, I saw it about a year ago, it. and I was like, this blows. Here's the other thing. Oh, my God, all these big sets. Guess what? The sets are really fucking ugly. They're, they're, they're a bit much. That movie is so garish to look at. So It's like freebasing fucking pixie sticks. So... What the fuck? Oh, yeah, Hocus Pocus, right. Somebody on the internet recently who I won't name was like, I just don't even get it, like, as Halloween was rolling around, like, 
why does everyone talk about Hocus Pocus like it's good? And it's like, it was on TV a lot when we were children. Now we're in our 20s and 30s. People write internet articles for those people. Yeah. Why is this hard for people to understand? Shit was on TV a lot, man. Yeah, guess Everybody what, Everybody saw Hook. We have to stop canonizing things just because we saw them but when we were young. Like, don't be surprised. I'm like, not surprised, it's just collective just consciousness. That fuck that noise. Let's elevate good movies. Let's talk about them seriously. Uh, that haven't been said, Rocket Man's yeah. a masterpiece. Yeah, Rocket Man's good. All right. So, uh, yeah, so, you know, fuck your nostalgia. Amistad next, baby. Yeah. Here's Amistad. a movie none of you have any nostalgia for. A movie uh, people go, wait, oh, right, yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Which is an uh, interesting counterpoint, much like uh, Vince Vaughn in this movie, who we barely even discussed, Amistad kind of tries to do the same thing with McConaughey. After McConaughey popped and they were like, this guy should be a movie star, right? And no one could figure out how to apply him. McConaughey's pretty good in Amistad. But it didn't really click. Well, he was in A Time to Kill as well. You know, he was coming. But I'm saying Time to Kill was the one where he popped, and then this was the one where they were like... We're going to talk about Amistad next week. Great. Get ready to listen to... Amistad is what Ben said. Right, Ben? Yeah. <laughs> Love you, Ben. And, uh, and that's the show. That's our show. That's our show. That was the show. This was the first episode of Pod Me If You Cast. Nice job. Really rolls oh, off the tongue. Oh, shit. Yeah. Well, one last thing. Oh, my God. What? They go to the, the original Jurassic Park, and he uses a, a radio, and it's covered in branches and stuff. Overgrown technology. That's it. This is the new thing you like as technology that had stuff grow over it? Yeah. But wait, this doesn't happen in this movie, does it? It sure does. Does it? Yeah, he makes a radio island? call to get the helicopter to come pick him up. No, and, they don't go to the original island. They just go to like a station. Oh, whatever. You know, yeah, I get you. You like overgrown uh, technology. Yeah, overgrown cool. technology, new thing. Okay, Sorry. It's big, it's wet, it's good. You like big, it. Big, wet. 10 out of 10. Yep, yep. Okay. Uh, thank you for listening. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Tell tell friends. Convert blankies. Post on our Reddit. Mm-hmm. Buy all the merchandise we have set up by now. <laughs> yeah, totally. What if we just, now that we're recording all these episodes in advance, make a bunch of promises that we then have to fulfill? I love that. Great. Okay, so buy the merchandise that we have set up by now. Buy our tap-tap game. Yeah. Uh, we're uh, recording this episode of, in March of 1999, <laughs> so hopefully by the time it comes out in January of Podcasts 2017. Podcasts have been invented. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, all of that, uh, and, and as always, Jurassic World is still, like, so, so much worse. Definitely. Like, it's, like, a fucking, like, aggressively uninteresting movie made by a hack, and it's also, like, like culturally toxic. Great. Like it's bad and someone should like kick that guy in the dick. They should find Colin Trevor. All right, all right. They we're should done. kick him in the dick, but Griffin, kick his dick okay. so hard that he can't film Griffin. a fucking Star Wars hey, movie. Hey, come on. He shouldn't be allowed to make a fucking Phantom Menace movie. Thank you. Bye. Pod Me If You Cast is the only one I've found that like makes any sense at all. Because it's the only one with enough words in it. David? What a... I really like that. Pod me if you can. Because it's either either that or the lost pod Jurassic cast, which sucks, right? No, that sucks. That would be like if we were doing a 10-episode miniseries about the lost Right, Jurassic that's the problem. Park. It sounds like it's franchise-specific. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Saving Private what about Ryan. a pod cast? God damn it. PC, <laughs> pod official cast intelligence. <laughs> no. God. Pod me if you cast is good. Yeah, pod me if you cast is the only one I can- uh, Pod already recast? Oh, I do like Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull podcast. <laughs> Pod of the cast. That's too long, though, David. Yeah, I think it should be longer. You're right.
How about Amacast? <laughs> How about the pod ventures of Tincast? How about saving the- podcast Ryan? <laughs> Wait, well, I came up with a better one. What about the pod ventures of Castcast? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's... But then it sounds like we have a Tintin podcast. I think like uh, that's about the larger franchise and intellectual property of Tintin. I think Pod Me If You Cast is pretty good. Yeah, right? I think that's what we have to do, right? Yeah. I mean, unless yeah, unless you think Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull podcast. Well, if I was gonna do it, I would do Podiana Cast and the podcast of the Kingdom <laughs> Cast podcast. No, you would. It would be <laughs> Podiana Cast. Podcast Jones. <laughs> Podiana Cass. Come on. That we that's good so far. Podcast Jones and the Kingdom of of the the, the Benducer. I don't know. The name of the series is Pod Me If You Cast. Cool. Right? Okay. Great. <laughs> Pod Me If You Cast. That's a good solution. There you go. Okay. I did it. Okay. Are we ready to go? Yeah. That more, yeah, I like that. Okay. Yeah, t- I was turning it down a bit because Ben was blasting the uh, Latigra. <laughs> I was in a Latigra mood. Yeah, I know. Right. Ben, did you ever play the video game Steven Spielberg's Director's Chair? <laughs> no, I it was did. on the Mac. <laughs> me and me and Ben had a half hour conversation about Mac video games because he was Mac only, baby. That's right. Okay, I'm gonna. This is. I'll say this. This has always been my Waterloo. Is I've always wanted to have a Goldblum impression. I've never been able to. You get don't it. have one, so I'm gonna try it. But I just, I never feel like. Okay, well, I've even come close. I mean, if it's bad, then I'll make fun of you. It's gonna be bad, and you're gonna make fun of me. Great. Okay, you ready? This has been a UCB Comedy production. Check out our other shows on the UCB Comedy Podcast Network. 